Welcome to Love Uncensored, the modern guide to dating and relationships. I'm your host, Nicole Colantoni, a dating and relationship coach. And each week, along with special guests who aren't afraid to speak their minds, we challenge norms and expectations in love and relationships. From childhood trauma to sex, we explore the uncomfortable and unspoken, providing valuable insight and actionable advice for building healthier relationships. Join us for candid conversations about all things love, whether you're single, in a relationship, or somewhere in between. I'm at a point, like I was at a point in, towards the last couple of years of living in Melbourne where I was like, I comfortably live here now and do my own thing. I don't need a person to complete me. Boom. I was and then you met your person. And then I met my person. I'm like, for fuck's sake. And the, funny, and the funny thing is, and people always say, oh, when you least expect it, you'll meet them. But that's part of the puzzle. But unless you understand yourself, that's never going to happen for you. Um, and, you know, not until you've landed in that and you've gone through that do you realise that the only time you meet your person or meet a person that could be your person is if you understand yourself. Hello and welcome back. So in today's episode, we dive deep into the intriguing life of Brayden Reese, also known as Jet Black, an Australian male escort and multi-award-winning marketing and public relations expert of the adult entertainment industry. Brayden has mastered the art of living authentically, from being a youth minister to becoming one of Australia's top 100 entrepreneurs. Brayden's journey is one of resilience, self-discovery and boundless creativity. Whether breaking barriers in the adult entertainment industry, working as an elite gay companion or performing as a drag queen, Brayden has a story that's both colourful and inspiring. In our conversation, we'll explore the challenges he's overcome, his perspectives on love, intimacy and self-worth, and how he has found harmony in the dualities of his professional and personal worlds. We'll discuss his views on self-love and the lessons he's learned about human connection through adversity. So if you've ever wondered what it takes to live a life truly on your terms, defying societal norms and embracing every aspect of who you are, or what secrets underlie the foundation of a healthy, long-lasting relationship, then this episode is for you. Brayden, welcome to Love Uncensored. Thanks for having me, Nicole. Really excited to be here and yeah, an honor to be on your be on your show or be one of your guests. <laughs> yeah, I am so excited to speak to you. So I know that you're a colorful human who has lived a thousand lives to say the least. But let's start from yeah. the beginning. Who are you and where did you grow up? <laughs> Who am I? You know, I'm still trying to work that out. Um, no, so seriously, I grew up in Campbelltown, so southwestern and corridor, Sydney. Um, so yeah, Brayden is this young guy that was really into arts and theater, didn't really know where he fit in the world. And then had like, obviously had a really supportive family. So that was always handy. I had that in my tool belt of, and still do to this day, but yeah, I was this creative kid that was into arts and theater and drama and just wasn't really a sporty guy. And it just ended up unfolding that I would end up in a private school that was heavily religious. Um, I dabbled with religion for a bit, thinking that, and I'm sure we'll touch on this at some point, but I seriously thought that I could pray the gay away, um, as as I would put it. Um, <laughs> and it, it turns out that it wasn't that easy. Um, and so the theatrical side of me, I guess, took over and that became the persona that I identify with, I guess, a lot in my career today. 
And yeah, so Braden's this only child from Campbelltown with a really cool family that's very open-minded and I guess listeners will learn how open-minded my family is. Um, but yeah, I guess I'm just that creative guy that just wanted to fly his own flag, do his own thing, challenge the status quo. I never really fit into boxes. I wasn't really one for labels. I still am not one for labels. Um and yeah, I got challenged quite a bit for that growing up because I was not fitting in or I guess, you know, doing what everyone expected me to do um, outside my family. Family didn't care as long as I was happy and safe, they didn't give a shit. So that was great. Um, you know, Will was my oyster, but outside that it was a bit challenging. So yeah, yeah, embracing those challenges, I guess, and and seeing how far I could push the narrative for myself is is kind of how far I'm still pushing it today. It surprises me when I even look back at what I've accomplished that I'm like, I can't believe I've gone from being that, you know, young, insecure, slightly introverted, still kind of introverted today, young kid living in Campbelltown to this guy that has travelled all over Australia, lived in different cities and has several interesting brands behind him that would not be normal to, or considered normal to a lot of people, um, but has been has become my normal, and and um, and a lot of them have actually saved my life in the process. So yeah, that's a bit of a whirlwind to get people interested. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's so much to unpack with that. So where do we start? I think you know you mentioned some of the challenges that you experienced. Can we yes. sort of explore what those look like? You mentioned praying the gay away, which I feel like so yeah. many people will resonate with. Yeah, totally. So many people don't know this about me, but I've started sharing it a lot in the last couple of months. People are like, where did you come from? What did you do? Um, and so growing up, I had the choice, like I said, I was into arts and theatre. I had the choice of going to a state high school or a private school. Now, because my parents thought I'd be bashed because I wasn't into sport, um, a lot of the state schools that were near my area were very sport heavy, like a lot of the state high schools. And so when I was younger, I saw this private school um, nearby. They had little ducks floating in the fountain and stuff around the front. I'm like, I want to go to that school. It's big. It's fancy. It's green. It's got animals. It had horses and shit. So I was like, you know, that's really cool. Um, so I went to a private school. But to get into the private school, I had to attend a church and get a sign off from a minister. So I wasn't really exposed to religion growing up. My parents had Catholic and um, Anglican backgrounds, but we weren't really religious. And so the only way to get into the school I wanted to go to where I thought I'd have the best opportunities and my parents were willing to, to support me with was to go to church. In that process, I still hadn't quite worked out that I identified as a gay male. I thought I was different but didn't really know what that meant and where it fit. So I thought go to church, maybe that'll help me work it out. I'll be able to get into the school I wanted to go to. And so in that process, I became a youth minister um, where I was basically preaching to the kids at, at, at church, which I thought was really cool because I felt like I was giving back to the community. So I felt empowered in that role. Um, but then through that process, I quickly worked out that I wasn't like everybody else in the parish. I wasn't attracted to women. I had girls in the church that were hitting on me and it you know, it was kind of like, let's just be friends. I'm not really into this relationship thing. Um, I'd rather just, you know, focus on the doctrine and, and be a good, you know, Christian person. Uh, and then eventually it turned out that I really knew on the inside that I was this, you know, 
gay guy that didn't fit into the cookie cutter narrative of religion. And so I had all these kids coming up to me and saying, look, I'm different. My families don't know. Um, The Bible says Adam and Eve. It doesn't say Adam and Steve. And so in that process, I helped a lot of kids come out to their families and a lot of their parents are actually ministers themselves. So that was quite a challenging experience. But I had this moment where I felt halfway through that process, I was doing the right thing and thought that if I help these people come out and embrace themselves, maybe that'll help them be straight too, because it doesn't say in the Bible that they can be gay or they can be different to what that book said. Um, And in that process, I actually and genuinely thought that I could pray the gay away because I thought if I could help people be themselves, that I would be able to be myself too. And maybe that means that we'll all be straight one day because the church had made me believe and the Pentecostal church that I was part of without naming names. But if you're in Australia, have a wild guess. Um, the church that I was part of and and the diocese that I was part of was telling me that gay was bad. And the only way to kind of get rid of it was to pray and hope for the best because you know, you're possessed by the devil, which is what my high school told me in the last two years of schooling and made life a living hell. Um, You know, rather than focusing on my year 11, year 12 exams, every morning I was whisked into the psych office to pray the gay away and to, um, you know, look at pictures and read read certain chapters out of the Bible because they thought that, you know, it would make it all go away because it's just a phase you're going through. Um, And so, It was quite a confronting process for me where I thought I could get rid of it because I honestly thought with all the people around me that I could. And I hadn't come out to my parents at that point either. So I was very much nesting all that inside. And through the process of helping those kids come out, I felt like I was looking in a mirror and it slowly ate away at me because I was helping people be themselves and I saw them happier Um, and their parents supported them. And I knew my parents would always support me no matter what my life choices were, but I didn't know how to identify myself outside of that. So obviously it chipped away at me a bit and I had the hard and fast decision of do I keep lying to myself um, and just keep doing this religious narrative where eventually, hopefully, you know, Satan will let go and I'll become this all-powerful straight guy that's, you know, powered by Jesus and loved by all and not a gay guy that's possessed by the devil, um, which I was led to believe. And maybe, you know, that's what I'm supposed to do. But then that part of me was very much like, no, I'm denying myself. I can't lie to myself anymore. So the decision to kind of step out of church was quite confronting because that was the world I kind of fell into and knew. It was the first sort of environment I felt a sense of belonging and acceptance. But when I came out to friends in the church in private and said, look, I'm not straight. I, I've worked this out now. I'm trying my best, but it's it's not going to work for me to kind of lie to myself anymore. Um, they kind of disowned me and walk away and they were like, yeah, well, that's not for us. My family don't like that. I can't be friends with a gay guy. So I lost a lot of friendships. And so all the community I thought I had fell away. And I had that quick decision of, well, if that's how they're going to treat me by me trying to be myself, then I need to fuck all these people off entirely. So it wasn't so much a bit of me kind of losing faith or losing any sort of belief in anything. I still have an open mind today. I wouldn't necessarily say I'm Anglican or Catholic or anything particular. I, you know, have a sense of belief in myself and I have a sense of belief in what we do in the world and kind of how that, you know, mirrors our own trajectory in life. But 
that quick decision of if this is how people that I thought were close to me and respected me and supported me were going to treat me, obviously my parents weren't like that, but the world outside, it made sense to kind of walk away and wipe my hands clean of religion and church because I didn't know who the hell I was when I came out because I wasn't accepted anymore. So I fell into the gay scene of Sydney. I became a drug dealer, a nightclub manager, an escort, a drag queen. In my mind, I honestly thought that I had to sink or swim to work out my sexuality and my gender. And I had to understand what community was for me then and there, because I had this massive polarized, who the hell am I moment where I lost my sense of belonging. I didn't know what gender was. I didn't know who I was anymore. I had walked away from what I thought was my path in life and had to start again. And so at home, I was much loved and supported. My parents didn't really judge me for it. They were a bit confused because of what they read in magazines and heard on TV and what they listened to in music. You know, all gay guys are going to get AIDS and die. Like there was a narrative out there in the media when I came out in 2009. Um, But, you know, fast track today or even in the first couple of months, the parents are like, look, I loved you before you came out. Why would that change anything now? And so that was one thing that stuck with me throughout my development of who I was and traveling through the gay scene and experimenting along the way. But I figured that if my parents could love me no matter what, then I could love myself no matter what, and then apply that to the world that I wanted to be part of. So that meant that I made a lot of friends really quickly because I didn't know who I was and I didn't know what I wanted to be. So I kind of became a chameleon and flew through myself into one friendship circle full of transgender people, another friendship circle full of deviates. Um, when I say deviates, I mean, you know, the drug dealers and the people in the underworld. And, you know, I was like, oh, well, this is all fun and exciting. Um, but obviously, I guess if you live a suppressed life when you focus on religion for so long and then you you fall into these different circles, you're like, oh, this is really exciting. It's an adventure. I just want to do everything I possibly can. So that was my um, take on exploring my sexuality and discovering gender and discovering the gay scene. But I really only learned that I could do that if I engaged with people that were older than me because for some reason young people were attracted to me because I was this fresh meat on the gay scene. I was like, oh, look, that this young gay guy in his leather jeans and his mesh tops trying to fit in with the gay scene. He doesn't look like he's been here before. Um, and so because I looked new, a lot of young people were attracted to me because I had they hadn't fucked me yet. It's basically what that was. Um, it was like, you know, how many gay guys have you fucked at Stonewall? It's like, you know, create a tally. But the young, the older guys were more curious as to how the hell I had some sort of confidence being new to the gay scene. But it was through the older people that I learned more about myself and the history of the gay scene of Australia and what the gay guys had gone through to get us to where we are today. And I guess mentality around embracing sexuality and how that can impact your life. So I got a lot of knowledge from a lot of mature people um, but I got paid in the process. So, <laughs> um, and you know, I was kind of like, well, how do you make the best of both worlds? How do you get a long conversation out of an older guy that finds you attractive? And you kind of think they're a bit hot too. And he didn't really know how to explore yourself. So I was like, okay, cool. Well, I'll charge for that. And they get something out of it and I get something out of it. So I went from this, you know, innocent churchy to, um, frivolous gay kid 
on Oxford Street in Sydney trying to work out who the hell he was. Um, but it was really a release for me because I had to leave one environment and then very quickly, because it was in that penultimate year of year 12, when you're still trying to become an adult, you're about to finish your education. You're like, who the hell am I? Where am I going to go when I'm done with this? All these people I've gone to school with, I'm never going to probably see again, which is true. I don't see any of the people I went to school with. It is now 12, 13 years on. But I had to work out my identity because it had been completely stripped away once I left the church. So, yeah, people think that's a bit, you know, hard and fast. Like, God, you really did throw yourself in the deep end and you tried everything. But I think that's the only way you learn. Like, it's the only way I learn. You've got to try something before you yuck on it. I think a lot of people in my life have, or people I've met have actually said to me, you know, don't yuck on someone else's yum. Um, love that. Love that. Yeah. Um, and so I, I kind of took that probably a bit too far. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm gathering from, you know, having only uh, spoken to you for a short amount of time in this episode is that you don't do things in halves. <laughs> Definitely not. No. And I think that, you know, that's a blessing and a curse all at the same time. Mum was always like to me when I was growing up, she's like, look, always keep a memo of everything you do. You never know when it's going to bite you in the ass later. And then it was always like, give it your all, do your very best. And it's, I think I might have taken that. Um, <laughs> you ran with that one. <laughs> to a whole new level. I was like, you know what? If I'm going to be a gay guy, I'm going to be like the biggest fairy on the gay scene I could possibly be. Um, I never carried a handbag, but I was close. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think I might have taken it just a little bit too far, but I have a lot of experiences and it has opened my mind a lot to how people identify sexuality and gender in general, but I had to do that to work out myself. Like even when I started doing drag, I did it really basically uh, with like a, a black bob on a slip dress that a friend of mine had lent me. I had a girl do my makeup. So I looked like a hot mess um, and meanwhile, me, you know, I'll go to this club on Oxford street with them and I meet all these drag queens. And then we're dancing around the dress rides up. So like, I didn't notice that you could see my briefs under this whole situation. So, you know, I'm walking down the street and please a stripper heels with this Bob wig on and this shitty dress. I'm so glad there are no photos of that or any videos <laughs> <laughs> anywhere. But what I did through that experience was I spoke to the performers and I spoke to the other drag performers at clubs and transgender people and I asked questions because my first real time on the scene and I thought well I need to ask questions because I, I don't understand why I'm doing it I want to know why they're dressing up this way or why they're doing certain things um and a lot of them shared that with me quite openly and that kind of helped me work out okay am I doing this because I like to perform and I like theater or am I doing this because I identify as that 24 7 so that was really important for me because I didn't know where I fit. I thought I had to fit in in the gay scene. I very quickly learned that you don't. And it was quite funny because very quickly I had fallen into old pattern. I'd been in the church. I had to fit in. I had to follow this narrative. I then enter the gay scene and then I start doing the same thing and land myself in a lot of fucking trouble learned a lot in that experience, but then came out the other end and go, what the fuck am I doing? Like, 
a whole reason why I jumped ship was because I didn't want to follow a narrative. The whole reason I'd been brought up was to do my do things my own way, determine my own future, be creative, give it my best. And now I'm trying to suppress myself again by putting myself in a box in the gay scene, which has many different boxes. So it became quite an eye-opener um, for me. So, so yeah. And when you say that it got you in a lot of trouble, what did that look like? <laughs> um, <laughs> look, you know, there were moments when you meet a lot of shady people and you think they're your friends and then you have to hightail out of those situations. Like there's plenty of near-death experiences in my journey because I just, you know, the world was my, the sky was the limit, the, that that was my approach. And so I was like, oh, yeah, I'll be nice to everybody. But I didn't really apply a filter to that, which I now apply in my life and business, which I never did before. Uh, and that was where it became an issue because I would be nice to everybody. I didn't really, you know, identify what their background was and where they were. So I'd become friends with mafia. I'd become friends with bikies. I, without even knowing, um, you know, go to a charity event in Melbourne and hang out with a few people from Neighbours and Home and Away. And then you see people like Anthony Mundine there auctioning off his boxer gloves. And then people like Sophie Monk and a few other people that you're like, oh yeah, this is just a high profile charity event. And then two thirds of the people that are in the room are all hitmen. And I'm thinking, why are all these people dressed in, you know, stripy jackets and hats and, you know, why? <laughs> so, you, you know, I was very naive and said yes to a lot of things. And I met a lot of really cool people, but I didn't really work out the environments I was work- walking through. I was just kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, this is a new chapter. This is a new exciting journey. You know, oh, okay, these people all dress a certain way, okay, then maybe they, you know, maybe they just like wearing suits. No, it was a reason why they were wearing suits. But, you know, good news was the charity was for a good cause. It was for cancer. So, and that's something that I'm passionate about. So I was like, you know, I kind of focused on that. And then when people were like, don't you know who these people are? And I'm like, no, I'm like, have you heard of Underbelly? And I'm like, nope, no idea. Um, And then, you know, I kind of worked out from there that I had, mingled with people that I would not have ever thought I would mingle with. And I had seen different sides of their stories and I had got to know them on very baseline levels, but I had to make a decision very quick in that moment as well. And in those moments of whether I would be heavily invested in relationships and friendships with those people or whether I would be this on the fringe person, Um, you know, know their existence know how far you can push those certain relationships and friendships um, to make the most of it, but also not to fuck yourself later. (laughs) So uh, it was was very important for me to kind of learn very quickly how to navigate um, those groups of people. But that's not to say that they weren't amazing people because a lot of the people I met in those groups I'm still in contact with. So just not for the reasons that anyone, I guess, outside those circles would think that you're in contact with them. Like it could be a coffee catch-up, it could be a glass of champagne, it could be dinner on the odd occasion when I happen to land in Victoria and I meet those people again. Um, But it's because we had that, I guess, friendship at the start. It didn't go any further than, than that, which is good. 
So, yeah, I guess the short version there is I had to learn who you could trust and who you couldn't trust very quickly. Um, But, again, I did have my trust taken for granted in a few situations and I almost landed in, like, serious situations where I was part of illegal things and I had to really pull away from certain circumstances. So it was important, I guess, growing up to identify myself and my sexuality in a way where I didn't attribute it to a group (laughs) or an organisation. Again, following old pattern, which I, when I talk about it, I realise I'm doing the same thing, you know, oh, there's a group. I'm going to go and join that group. Um, But they were the situations I landed in where they were problematic because I was attributing myself and going, okay, I'm a gay guy. This is where I fit in the world. So now I'm going to go and put myself in this group because that's where I belong. There's still that element of belonging throughout the entire process where I seriously thought I had to fit in or be part of a group to have a sense of self-worth. And that kind of followed me throughout all of those experiences and all those different groups and people I'd met. And in the end, it was better off being the lone wolf than it was to be part of something that I wasn't fully vested in. I guess that's my way of skirting around the edges of giving too much away as to what groups I fell into. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, but I I love what you're saying. You know, you've obviously had uh, so many uh, experiences and and overcome so many challenges. And there have been these themes that have followed you around. And I wonder, you know, how have these struggles and these experiences shaped your relationships, not only with yourself, but others? Yeah. Like through all those experiences, the things that I'd learned was the the value that I place on trust and the value I place on self-worth. But also the value that the value of what people add to those relationships. Like I was very giving. Um, earlier on, I just gave, 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 and it became very exhausting. Um, and I never really got anything back. It was, it was very like I got invited to parties and I got invited to events, and I was part of all these different amazing things in unusual places. But it's kind of where it stopped. It was like, you know, because I gave a lot of my time freely or my expertise, I was invited to something and I, I felt like I was part of something. But then that's where the, I guess, the journey stopped there. And then I'd have to give again and again and again to get the next thing. And I started falling into this pattern of just give, give, give. And it did exhaust me and it, and it made me question friendships and it made me question the relationships I was creating. I was like, are these people mutually there for me or are they just you know, there to take because they can and because I was naive, they just kept taking away. Um, So I very quickly learned the value of balance in relationships for me. It was really important for me to understand who I was talking to, who I was meeting with, where they were from and get a feel for how they relate to the world. And if it wasn't a fit, then it was kind of like, you know, thanks for dinner, thanks for lunch, and then slowly fade away. Um, instead of just continuously going back for more. Because by that point, I had learned a lot of valuable lessons. Um, But the key takeaway for me was not fitting in was better than trying to fit in because these people liked me because I was different and then I was trying to change myself to be part of their circle, to be part of their world rather than be invited into their world because I was different, which is the whole reason they liked me in the first place. 
making those realizations was really important, but it came a lot later than what I hoped. Um, Story of my life. Yes. <laughs> I think a lot of people do it. We, we change ourselves to please people. Um, and we do it in our relationships. We do it with our personal lives. We do it with our friends. We do it in the workplace. We go to uni, we do a degree. We think that's what we want to do for the rest of our lives. And we go, well, I just wasted five years of my life. Well, I might as well fucking stick at it, even though I hate it. That time fallacy principle followed me through my life. It followed through, followed me through my sexual identity and my relationships. And I honestly thought I had to do something because I had slaved away at it personally, or I was interested in it back then. So I want to keep doing it. But those patterns of behavior chip away at you and eat away at you and they make you depressed. They suppress your feelings. It challenges where you want to fit in the world. It makes you feel like you don't have a purpose because you're constantly changing who you are or you're denying part of yourself. And and that was something I learned very hard and it was a harsh reality because I lost a lot of friends really quickly because I kept changing all the time. They're like, well, you're this person then you're that person then you're in this friendship circle and when you come and it only kind of caught up with me when I was a certain way in one group and then entered another group and then they knew me a different way the weekend before and they're like hang on a minute you're not the same person we hung out with last week and that's when it started to catch up on me that I was changing to suit the people around me and I lost friends that I never wanted to lose because of it and I lost friends that I never really had because I worked out that I was not being true to myself. But we're all kind of a little bit guilty of doing that. Um, I guess it's when you realise that you're doing it, that's when you you start looking at people differently and you start looking at situations you're in objectively. Is this adding value? Is it making me happy? Is this something that's contributing to me in a positive way or is it holding me back? Um, and if I say, if I express these feelings or if I express these problems with the people around me, are they listening and saying, look, you know, I want to help you or are they going, no, no, it's all in your head because they're getting something out of you and it's not a balanced relationship. So they are situations that we all kind of face unless we really, you know, listen to ourselves, um, internally. Absolutely. Absolutely. I always say to my clients, you know, uh, it's better to be alone and find yourself uh, rather Mm. than being with somebody else and in a relationship where you lose yourself. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's such a common narrative. And that's why I love that you said that, you know, you almost prefer to be a lone wolf now, but I wonder, you know, through those experiences that you had at at any point, did you attract romantic partners who weren't a, a good fit for you? I did. I, because I thought I was halfway there. So like a few of the relationships I had, I had attracted romantic partners. So, um, throughout that chapter, and, and like I say, I broke them into three different chapters. There was a chapter where I just dived into the gay scene. I just experimented with recreational drugs. I thought that's what you had to do to be gay, you know, wear skinny jeans, wear a mesh, wear a, wear a mesh top, snort some cocaine and go for gold at arc. That's what I thought the gay scene was because that was the narrative that was put out there by the media. So I thought, okay, I had to check this out and see if this is what I wanted to do. In that process, obviously, because I was partying and I was dancing and I was young and naive, I had people coming to my life that took advantage of that. Um, and we identify those people in in 
today's society as narcissists, which is something that kind of flips all over the internet and people are like, oh, abusive, controlling relationships. I landed in a few of those um, where I became dependent on the person I was in the relationship with without realising Eventually, my world had got turned upside down where I thought up was down and left was right. And, you know, the sky was actually yellow, not blue. And grass is like everything had been flipped on me to, I guess, satisfy the other half that I was with at the time. And those situations, although they were like, I can look back at them now and, and reflect and go, look, those relationships were toxic. And I could play the victim card here and say, you know, oh, I was taken advantage of and da, da, da. But realistically, if I reflect further back, it's because of a pattern that I had followed and I had let those people into my life. I could play the victim card and say, look, this person took advantage of me. I had no idea it was going to happen. But there are relationships I had along that way where I had willingly let these people in. I wasn't quite sure of them, but I was having a good time. And I guess when you're playing around with recreational stuff um (laughs) you you know you lose your inhibitions and you do stupid shit and eventually you get caught up in that world to the point where you you're happy but are you really and a lot of my feelings I guess were masked as well by the environment I was in the people I was with the substances I was taking um they kind of all added to that so it's it's interesting because the relationships I had were challenging and they were controlling and they were abusive um, mentally more than physically. But at the time I found them fun, exciting, thrilling. The only time they weren't fun and exciting or thrilling was when it got to the 11th hour of those relationships where I had a wake-up call and internally went, I feel like a ghost in this relationship I feel like I'm being put on a pedestal which you know sounds self-serving but I felt like I was getting put in a situation where I was an object and I was only like a toy for example best way to describe it I was a toy that the kid didn't want to play with unless they wanted it and in that relationship I was the toy on a shelf waiting for that relationship to engage with me and when I realized that that's what was going on that's when I guess those partners lost a grip on me. Um, and then obviously as a result of that, that's when things got heated. A lot of people that are controlling in their relationships, if they get caught out or they lose control, they very quickly realize that they've lost you and then they can act out. And unfortunately, the relationships I had that were like that very early on when I was younger did act out in ways where it went to a point where I had to involve police and um, lawyers and stuff because they had got out of hand. But there, when I say that, you know, I've gone through some challenging experiences, I've gone through relationships as well, um, even romantic ones that have unfortunately been with the wrong people. Um, But I've come out the other side of it uh, and survived it. And now I guess from those experiences in relationships plus the, the social circles I went through, I was able to identify, okay, this is not the person I am. This is what adds value to me. These are the relationships I want. These are the people I need to surround myself with. Like I said, it's not the organic way of working that out. Most people work that out working in a workplace with 50,000 people that they don't like and only see nine till five. I didn't have that because I've always worked for myself. So obviously 
because you don't have a lot of social surroundings, you have to create them. So I created those social opportunities and unfortunately went through a lot of different groups of people that were not always the right fit. But yeah, they were challenging relationships. They were, there were a lot of, when I say abuse, one became a a situation of rape and assault. Um, One was more psychological abuse. The other was where I was supporting people with their addiction, such as alcohol or drugs, because I had walked away from those things later on in my youth. Um, I say youth, even though I'm 31, <laughs> but, um, you know, in my mid twenties to early, uh, late, late twenties, um, I walked away from those things and I had partners that were still engaging in them. Um, and because I understood them, I couldn't really judge them for it, but I wanted to help them better themselves. But as a result of helping them, it ate away at me because when I helped them, they walked away from me because then they lost themselves, which is where I was when I left it all behind, when I left the drugs behind, when I left those relationships, I felt a part of me was missing and I had to get that back. And spending five years on my own, being that lone wolf, I did that in Victoria. I left Sydney. I went to Melbourne. I lived in Melbourne for five years after a a domestic relationship that broke down and became abusive and assaultive and and everything. And I stayed there and I just focused on myself, did my own thing and wanted to work out my business and who I was and embrace my creative side. And if people came into my life because of those things, then great. But I wasn't seeking them. I wasn't deliberately going out of my way to find people. They found me. And I then was in a position of power where I didn't really need people, but I wanted people. So I became selective. I was like, yeah, okay. You know, you like me because the creative stuff, let's go out and, you know, dance and go to a karaoke bar or things like that. If I met female sex workers that I, that knew I was working in that profession in Sydney, then they would hang out with me and we'd go out and have cocktails while they were waiting for the next client. They're like, oh, I've got to go in half an hour. Let's shot this, you know, sangria. And then I'll see you in two hours time when this booking's over. I'm like, okay, cool. (laughs) But it was good because I had an opportunity in Melbourne to really work out my shit because I had all these relationships eating away at me and had taken a little bit of something each time. And I had to rebuild my self-esteem and I had to rebuild who I wanted to be because I'd gone through all these different circles, had these challenging relationships and then came out the other side going, okay, I know I'm gay. I know I'm creative. I like that about myself. I'm sticking to all this stuff, but do I really need a person in my life that is not there for me, that I can't be there for them on the same level because it's unbalanced. And so I decided to fly my own flag in Melbourne for a few years and do my own thing. So yeah. I love what you're saying. I really do. You know, it, I, I I so hear you when you were basically saying that you realized that you were the common denominator in, in each yeah. one of your relationships. So it's easy to be like, okay, I'm such a victim because these people keep treating me this way. But then the question becomes, why do we allow those people into our lives? Yeah. And I did exactly what you did. I, I you know, moved overseas uh, after a bad breakup, having had the same realization as you took a dating hiatus and, and really worked on myself. 
and you know, uh, which uh, takes a lot of courage to do that, but I think it's absolutely necessary. But I'm just curious, you know, you mentioned yeah. you've been through so much trauma, right? You know, and abuse. And I'm firstly, I'm so sorry to hear that. But how did you work through that uh, and work past it? More importantly, uh, yeah. you know, and sort of over overcome that without letting it hold you back in your personal life and and your romantic relationships moving forward in the most unconventional way possible. <laughs> I, yeah, this is where the escort career comes into it. Um, anyone that's out there that's listened to this, you know, you have a relationship. It has to be a combination of emotional and physical. And when those two things aren't balanced, you start questioning the relationship you're in, you know, do they love me? Am I wanted? Do they find me attractive? You have all these doubts when sex is not in the equation. Um I had those doubts when I was a lone wolf. And so obviously I had those relationships. They weren't great. They ate away at me. But then when I stepped away from a romantic anything, I had that lack of sexual relationship that you still kind of want because it's a confidence booster. Um, you feel sense a sense of worth or you feel sexually attractive, which then strokes your egos. Then you feel like being you putting yourself out there a bit more. Um so me working as a sex worker really helped me, and I say this is unconventional, I'm not saying people that are out there listening to this podcast, go and become a hoe. Um, that's not what I'm saying. But for my career, I was already working as a sex worker in Sydney on and off between those relationships. A lot of them didn't like me doing it when I was with them, so then I was flicking between the two. Um, I was able to very easily separate work mode from relationship mode. And that's probably not a lot of thing, a thing that people listening to this podcast that have no exposure to working as a sex worker or have never spoken to a sex worker before will understand. Um, but it's like when you put on a uniform for work and then you take the uniform off. I became an identity, which is jet black. And I worked as a sex worker within the adult industry. Um, when I just worked out, I was gay. That's what I did. So it made sense to me when I was having those challenging relationships and flicking between who I was and who I wanted to be, that I could fall back into the persona I created, which helped me navigate myself, my feelings. And I could channel that ability to take control of who I was and who I wanted to be into this persona that I created that even though I was hooking up with people and they were paying me for it, I still was in control of those situations, whereas in those relationships I was not. It wasn't a balanced relationship. So as a sex worker, I could say yes, I could say no. Um, I had this ability to, you know, say no to a booking or if it was a client that took me out for dinner, I didn't have to necessarily sleep with them. It could have just been a dinner date or, you know, on their yacht watching the sunset, um, plenty of those dates I had. I often not, 80% of my clients were not sexual related. It was just people that wanted to hang out and have a conversation. You so, know what? I hear that all the time because I've interviewed yeah. uh, sex workers before. I've had friends who have worked in the industry and they have said the, the exact same thing, that most of their mm. clients just want someone to talk to and someone to spend their time with. Absolutely. And you know, and a lot of people get it wrong. So even when I was trying to find friendship circles in, in Melbourne or people that wanted to date me and they were like, okay, what do you do for work? And I was like, oh, well, I'm in marketing, but I'm also a sex worker. They'd immediately pull away. Um, and they couldn't, no one could really wrap their head around it, but there were the people that weren't really open-minded, couldn't wrap their head around it. But 
It was interesting because I always knew the industry the way I know it. And a lot of workers, we know it the same way is that it's not a very sex heavy industry. Like we get clients that go, oh, I want to do this with you. And then when you meet them, they're less, uh, they're less, I guess, in that headspace when they meet you. So they'll message you and say, I want to do all this stuff. Then you meet them and they're like, oh, no, no, let's just sit down, have a drink. I'll take you out for dinner. Like it becomes less sexual. So they, they're immediately attracted to your photos and they want to treat you like a sex doll. But then when they see you, they're like, no, I just want to wine and dine. And, and so you sometimes mentally prepare yourself for those bookings to go that way. But then it ends up going in a more, they just want that personal connection because they either don't have the time for it or they're in a profession that is stressful or they have just come out of a relationship and they're not prepared to do anything sexually. They just want to have that emotional connection again and then build up from there. And so working as a sex worker, I've been able to flick from relationships that were challenging for me and then go into these short one-hour, two-hour relationships or short-term connections of clients where... I was able to kind of unwind with them. They could unwind with me and we both got something out of it. Even though it's not what they went into it for, I was able to kind of feel a sense of calm and release with them because they would listen to me. I would listen to them. It was a win-win transaction. And at the end of it all, it was, that's all it was. It was just a, a transaction. So I was able to, to kind of settle down and come to terms with the things I had gone through, through trauma, through my clients and my clients were coming to me for the same thing because I could identify and relate. So it was an unusual way of dealing with it. Plus I had supportive family. So Yeah, we a- need to get your mum on the podcast. <laughs> she sounds iconic. Mum and dad are great, you know, and they're still there today. Like I can pick the phone up and go, oh, my God, you wouldn't believe what I did this day. Or even with clients, they'd be like, oh, my God, you know, we don't want to hear what you did on the weekend. I'm like, well, you just asked. <laughs> be like, what did you do on the weekend? I'm like, oh, well, you know, I saw this guy at this bar and then we went back to his house and he maybe put this on. And mum's like, I really shouldn't have asked that question. I'm like, well, you, know, you asked. You want to know? But, you know, they let me tell them. They don't stop me. They're like, yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they're like, mum's like, mm, yeah, TMI, TMI, too much information. But um, it, it has been interesting. <laughs> yeah, I bet. And so I have so many questions when it comes to your escorting work. Was there ever a client that you either developed a crush uh, on or didn't want to work with? If so, what did you do in either situation? Um, look, screening my clients was really handy. When I was young, I said yes to everything because I just wanted to be, because I had left an environment where I felt part of something. I'd fallen into a community like the queer scene and as a sex worker early on, I was craving a sense of belonging or a sense of worth. So when people said, I want to date you or I want to want to book you, I just said, yes. I didn't really care whether they were ugly, if they were on the crack pipe or like I didn't, I didn't filter, which got me into situations where it would have been safer for me to say no. So, but because I wanted a sense of purpose and belonging, I just kept saying, yes, 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 yes. That's very early on in the first, I'd say, one to two years of my 10-year career as a sex worker. Um, after I had matured, um, I decided that maybe it's better for me to pick and choose my battles. Um, and so I screened my clients very heavily, you know, 
rather than asking things like show me a photo ID or put the money on a bed and take a photo of it, which I know a lot of high-class workers will do so that way they know the client's serious, my approach was a bit different. I was always asking what profession are you in? How long have you been in that profession for? I never really asked the age question because I knew you'd have to be at uni for at least five to six years to finish that degree. I knew that if you're in a profession that's high high and mentally or emotionally required of you that you would be highly strong as an individual which is the whole reason why you're booking a sex worker in the first place um so I was able to kind of screen my clients based on their profession work out their age and then try and suss out their personal life a little bit before I met with them so I roughly knew who I was dealing with so at least that way I could handle the booking but I have had clients fall for me where I have stupidly, and I know a lot of escorts say, don't do it, don't do it. I did it. I dated one of them for a few years. Um, That was a client that booked me for a threesome with their partner and then they fell for me and then they broke up with their partner a few months later and then chased me on and off for about a year or two. And I was like, no, no, like you're a client. And then part of me was like, you know what, This maybe this is going somewhere, maybe this is meant to be. <laughs> um, you, know, this, you know, the stars have aligned. This is, this, is, <laughs> this is the purpose. This is the relationship I've been looking for. Um, but that was one of the relationships that turned out in the negative after a few years together. So that person had, you know, misled me to believe a few things about themselves. And then over a few years together, it very quickly became apparent that they had lied and there are a few skeletons in the closet that I wasn't aware of that I didn't want to be part of. So, you know, that was one situation I had fallen for someone because they had booked me a lot. I got to know them on a deeper level. I knew their situation with their past partner and that that all checked out. But when they were with me, it was a completely different story. So, and then when you leave them, you then work out of other people that, you know, they had other sides to the story as well. You're like, oh, had I have known that, I probably wouldn't have done it. So I, yeah, I have had clients fall for me before. That was one of the bad situations. One of the cute situations is when this bisexual guy fell for me and he was so confused about um, his sexuality. His girlfriend was, you know, at work and he was a construction worker and he wanted to hook up with me. And so we got together and then he was so embarrassed because he couldn't come that was quite funny. Um, like we were hooking up and he's like, I can't get off. I can't get off. And I'm like, well, you booked me. Like what porn do you want to watch? What will get you off? So that way you feel like you can tick a box and go, I got off with a guy because clearly you've never gotten with a guy before. Um, and because I was very real with him, he really appreciated that because I basically called a spade a spade and, he was so switched on for that, that he was like, no, you know, you're more honest with me than my partner. Maybe I'm supposed to be with a guy. And then so for a few for a few months onwards from there, I decided to kind of date him, but not really. Um, just so he got the chance to get to know his sexuality. So I'd take him out to Ark, I'd take him out to Stonewall, I would take him out to different bars and gay bars to kind of expose him to the queer scene. And then I kind of stepped away from it. Because it was really cute, because I was like, that's where I was when I had left religion and throw myself into the gay scene not knowing where I fit and I'm like no he doesn't need to fit in he just needs to see it and then make his own decision on what he wants to do and who he wants to be so that was kind of cute where I took him under my wing and I you know dated him off the clock um just to kind of help him through that 
moment um and he eventually ended up switching completely to the to the gay side so (laughs) so there you go and it wasn't you did a good job then (laughs) I did a good job I was worth my money see Um, (laughs) so we've obviously spoken about how one common misconception is that you know when it comes to being a sex worker or or an escort that it it often involves a lot of sex and that's it's you know actually the opposite in many Mm. instances. What are some other common misconceptions people have about the adult industry? Look, when people hear the word adult industry, they tend to jump straight to sex or porn. Um, Or they then go in the opposite direction and they go, right, so drugs and, you know, assault and mafia and all these people under the, like, they fly under the radar in the, the the dark corners of the adult industry, the adult and it's not a lie to say. Okay, let me rephrase that. It's not untrue that they are part of the adult industry. They are, but they're a very small part. But I think a media preys on that a little bit that they can get away with putting stuff like that in all those cop shows that you see on like NCIS or. Um, you know, a lot of those shows on TV have a lot of underworld characters and they liken it to the adult sector um, just because they've got nowhere else to put it, really. Um, but they're the two most common misconceptions for the industries that when we so when I say, look, I'm in the adult industry or I do marketing and PR in the adult industry, they're like, oh, so you do marketing and PR for porn stars and escorts. Or when I said I worked in the adult industry, they're like, oh, so you're a hooker. Um, So the misconceptions there are that sex workers have a lot of sex um, and that they have diseases and that they, you know, will say yes to anything. The correct correct, uh, area there to think about sex workers is that a sex worker treats their body like a business. If they're sick, they can't make money. So the chance of them having a disease or being sick with anything if they're a serious worker, not someone you found on Skoka or Lacanto that's desperate for cash, but actually an escort directory or a site like Escorts and Babes or Scarlet Blue, for example, where workers are charging six, seven hundred bucks an hour. There's a reason why. Um, it is, you know, they're professional, they take their work seriously and they're experienced and they're not you know, they don't have anything nasty that you're going to take home and then get caught later by your partner when you probably shouldn't be booking hookers anyway, if that's the case. But, you know, that's your relationship and you'll work that out. But I think that the the common misconceptions that I've always faced is that we are deviates, that we, we have some problem, like, and it could be anything. People will make the assumption that people in the adult industry are not sane. They, um, like they're deviants, they're not sane, they're not mentally stable, they're part of the underworld, things like that. They're, they're the general misconceptions of the adult sector. And that it's an unsafe, unclean industry. That That's a big one that I get a lot. But it's mainly out of fear and misunderstanding um, that when I sit down with people and I go, look, these characters are there, but that's like 10% of the industry. And the industry, like the industry as a whole knows how to navigate that shit. Like there's, you've got mafia that are in charge of award shows. You have bikey gangs that own sex brands that you wouldn't even know own it. And yes, there's insider trading within certain adult retail products and brands in the Australian sector, just as it is overseas. You've just got to know how to navigate 
the industry. And the people that make it in the industry are the most successful, switched on, business savvy people I've ever met. Um, they're very in tune because they have to do their own marketing. They've got to do their own advertising. They've got to do their own screening. They're pretty much glorified salespeople um, in laundry. Like, so as the female sex workers I know are very smart and very savvy. And the male sex workers live a double life. Like they're either in construction or a personal trainer and then they work as a male sex worker alongside it. A lot of the female workers are people that have come out of relationships that were abusive and controlling and to regain their sense of self-pride and self-worth, they become a dominatrix or they've become um, a sex worker to give themselves that confidence again because they're like, well, I don't need a man, but a man needs me. Um, And so they become more empowered that way. And I've seen a lot of female workers take that narrative. And then you've got the other side of the industry where it's sex heavy, but it's not sex workers. It's the porn side of it. So people tend to believe that everybody that's in the adult industry is a porn star or performs the way they do on camera when we don't because that shit's fake. But people tend to believe that that is real. Um, and so when they meet a sex worker or if they meet someone in the adult industry, they initially gravitate towards what I saw on videos, what's going to happen when I meet that person. Um, and another thing that I think people take from the adult industry into their personal lives is that they watch a video. They think they can simulate that with their partner and it's going to be a fun experience. They work out it actually hurts. (laughs) So (laughs) so, um, they're like, oh, look, she loves it. Pull her hair back and all that sort of stuff in the porno and then you go and do it in your own bedroom and they're like, fuck, that hurt. Um, Like, you know, so... And because they're like, they just, I think people assume that what they see in video is so realistic or it's real that they can attribute that to their relationship, which becomes a problem. Um, and then but they blame it's a performance, the, right? It's a performance. And they blame the adult industry for it. It's like, well, you took something from a movie and thought that you could replicate it. Um, but, you know, that took three hours to film and that person was on a lot of painkillers and took a freaking still not a still knock that makes you go to sleep um <laughs> you know like a cialis or viagra to perform that and that's got 10 cameras around it from multiple angles you know that person didn't get off by doing that they were forced to get off by doing that so there's people do make generalizations of the adult sector and a lot of it's to do with sex and um yeah promiscuity and sex and then un- instability which i hear a lot of a lot of the clients that I work with and a lot of the business owners I work with just uh I guess the feedback I get from them which isn't like just a word that I would sum it up with is that they're disappointed and they feel a sense of shame in their communities because people push back their insecurities onto the industry they're rather than accept the fact that they don't understand the industry they just immediately deflect and they push it on to the people in the industry and go, well, you're depraved, you've got a disease or you're sick, you're you know, a sick individual mentally, physically, whatever, because you're in the adult sector. When realistically what they are saying is, I don't understand your industry, I find it confronting. But it, I enjoy watching your performance. But I enjoy watching your performances <laughs> on Pornhub on my lunch break and the occasional escort that I book behind my wife's back. So, yeah, so it, there's this part of it where it's like, well, you know, I could call you out for all that shit. But um, we do see a lot of that deflection. And, you know, to kind of 
pull it back to a positive is that the people that thrive in this industry are very strong, very resilient people. And they don't let that shit get them down. If anything, they laugh it off more than you would think because they know the real story, that why people are saying that. So the common misconceptions are, are, are those ones really, but they mainly angle around sex workers and and underworld staff, but they're only a small proportion of the adult industry because in essence, the adult industry is all about relationships and communication and exploring sexuality in a in a way where it's welcomed as opposed to embarrassing where you know people don't like going into a sex shop but they'll buy stuff online so there's that sense of insecurity around going in and asking someone behind a counter what dildo should i buy you know should i use these kegel things will they help me tighten up downstairs you know which lube should i use they feel uncomfortable having those conversations so they'd rather go online and browse themselves and then clear their browsing history um and then have everything arrive in a little brown box with no labels because they think that australia post is going to catch them out for it so like there's that sense of insecurity there but this industry is all about embracing sexuality and embracing identity and celebrating it and celebrating your body really which is why you should be booking a sex worker you book a sex worker because there's no judgment from them. And generally they're very open-minded. They're not going to look at you and go, oh, well, you're fat and ugly. Like they're there to celebrate you because you've booked them and that's their job. The job's to make you feel something and to make you feel confident about yourself and to help you explore shit you've never done with your partner before. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, you know, cause we've pretty much done everything. So like the chances of booking a sex worker that hasn't done something that you want to try they're the opportunities that you have to try it. So I really genuinely think having been in this industry for over a decade, that people should reframe the way they look at the industry and say, look, the adult industry is where I can express myself. It's where I can embrace my sexuality and it's where I can explore. Um, it's, it's an industry of exploration. It's not an industry of exploitation and it's not an industry of self-serving or, um, or, or darkness, which people tend to gravitate towards. It's a lot more positive than that. It's very much an industry of, of expression and celebration than anything else. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And I love how you said that it's also an industry about, you know, relationships and communication. And I wonder mm. how is this field informed or perhaps even challenge your personal beliefs and values about sex, love and intimacy, particularly after having yeah. experienced so much trauma when mm. it comes to your love life and your relationships? Yeah, I, you know, I used to think that you had to leave a relationship with sex. That was what I thought. Even earlier on, when I when I embraced my sexuality and I went into the gay, like walked into the gay scene and identified myself as a gay male guy that was having sex, I thought that the only way to have a relationship was that you started the relationship with sex. But I have to tell you, and even listeners, if you haven't gone through this experience and you're thinking, I've got to lead with sex, don't. If it starts with sex, it will end with sex. And it's something that I learned later on than I should have. Uh, a lot of my relationships, I started with sex. So I just thought that's the way gay relationships work. But then I started talking to girlfriends of mine that had done the same thing. And we, I heard their stories about their relationships and they were heterosexual relationships. And 
they had done the same thing and it had ended with sex. And we started seeing this pattern and I'm thinking, hang on a minute, a relationship's better off starting as friendship, really. And then if sex happens, it evolves naturally. It's not, you know, lust at the start, wham, bam, do I like this person? Do I want to fuck them again? Yes or no? And then go and do it. And then you start having sex all the fucking time through your relationship to the point where it becomes so boring because it's all you've ever really done and you haven't communicated that you fall into this pattern and eventually you end up falling apart from each other because what else is there? Because you started there. So it ends there. Um, The relationship I'm in now started off as a friendship. It started during COVID. It was a guy that was up in Melbourne when I was still there um, who was doing an apartment and he wanted to catch up with someone for a drink. He was just finished refurbishing and needed to let off some steam and jumped on Grinder. I met him on there. I was still working as a sex worker. He was not looking for anything other than someone to jump around for a drink and have a chat because he felt like he'd just been stuck in his working world and then just wanted a chance to meet someone, but no strings, nothing. We didn't have sex. We spent the next five weeks. He kept coming to Melbourne because I wasn't fully vaxxed, but basically he was coming to Melbourne every weekend when he had a weekend off from work to spend time with me. We'd go through walks through the park. We'd go to dinner. We'd have a chat. We would just hang out. We would cuddle. There was no sex for like the first five, six weeks. And we had both come from similar situations in our relationships where we led with sex in the past and it had ended with sex. And so because we had both had that lived experience, we approached our relationship very differently. We basically had a checklist. You know, are you sane? Are you stable? Yes, yes. Do you have a job? Yes, I have a job. Okay, cool. Um, Are you self-sufficient? Yes. Okay, cool. Let's go for a drink. So I wasn't even allowed over to his place unless I ticked those boxes. I was still late though because I'm like, what if this guy is a complete wanker? Um. I'm just going to make sure that I'm ready as a sex worker, which I told him later on and he was like, oh, my God, I can't believe you had all that stuff in your jacket. Like I had dressed basically like this, turned up to his house. He's in a pair of trackies and a T-shirt because he was like, I'm not on for anything other than hi, have a drink, have a social interaction, and then maybe make a friend and that's it. Um, I went there with, I don't know this guy, most people from Sydney, cause that's where he's from and having left Sydney and moved to Melbourne to start fresh, I was under the impression, oh, you know, Sydney gays can be a bit, uh, um, having been there. So I was like, okay, I'll just go just in case I will get dressed as jet. So I'll turn up as escort me. And if this doesn't work out going the way it needs to go, I can turn my ads back on and go back to work because then I haven't lost anything. I've gotten ready. This could be something, but I'm not quite sure. I was prepared. I had lube. I had condoms, had everything in this jacket. Um, But eight hours later, we had spoken all night till like 4 a.m. in the morning. And yeah, six weeks passed. And then I ended up moving to Sydney where I am now. So with the guy that I've now been with nearly two years. So <laughs> it's it's quite interesting, but it started as a friendship. So I think that's that's something to take away here is that leading with sex and it ends it ends with sex. The fact that we approach the relationship as a friendship, like is this a thing? Do we get along? Can we argue? Can we get through the argument? Do we communicate when we argue? Or is it like, nah, fuck it, we've had a disagreement, it's off. Because I've had relationships where you've had a disagreement and then 
because you don't know how to communicate, the relationship ends right there and then. And it could be over, you know, you tied your shoes wrong or, you know, you looked at them the wrong way. Totally. So like I've come out of relationships like that and because it started with sex and we didn't communicate, it ended with sex and it was because we didn't communicate in this relationship. It started as friends. It evolved from there and sex became a thing that we enjoy doing together because it wasn't something that we threw upon ourselves to be a thing we had to do. So I find that like I have less sex now than I did as a sex worker, but I have a stronger relationship because it didn't start with sex. Um, I think what you're saying is so true. I always say, look for your best friend who you then identify that you want to have sex with, right? Totally. Uh, and, and, you know, figure out, you know, how you do life together, right? And how you mm. fight together. Do you have similar fighting st- styles or is, you know, are you in a relationship where everything is a threat to that relationship? And as soon as there's any sign of conflict, it's game over, right? Yeah. You know, and, and I think what you're saying is so true. I always say often the way a relationship starts is the same way it ends. So, you know, mm. this isn't a blanket rule, but often relationships that start because, oh, you know, somebody was cheating on their partner in order to be with you, often you'll find yourself in the same situation, whether it's in six months, a couple of years down the line. Uh, And so, you know, to approach and start a relationship with a solid foundation of friendship, I think is the best way to do it. Absolutely. And you're proof Um, of that, right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I came out the other end of it. I've come out of the other end of abusive relationships that started from a sex base, but then they became controlling because all it was was sex. Um, And then it ended with sex, but it ended with abusive sex um so you know that was an abusive power in that relationship so and then in this relationship it started with friends and I know that if anything was to happen in this relationship which I can't see it really like this is the first relationship I've been in where I can honestly say this one's probably going to see me out to the day I die but the last ones I knew they had an end date you could kind of feel it that you know this is how long is it, you question it, like how long is this going to last? Because I can feel in myself that there's unanswered questions, there's gaps. But in this relationship, we have two different fighting styles. I'm a Virgo, true, like through to the core. He's a Scorpio. So like we have very different fighting styles. I'll internalize the shit out of it and then I explode. He's a Scorpio. He's on the immediate defense. Um, So we have very strong opinions and fights, but we come together at the end, like at the end of it, we'll be like, what the fuck are we doing? Like. You know, we're not, we, no one's going to win this argument because we both want to win this argument and it's going nowhere. So then we kind of cool down and then we're fine again. The fact that we can do that is something that's really strong in our relationship because we've had some really big arguments, but we communicate afterwards or we've gotten to that argument because we haven't communicated. So that's sometimes where it comes from. But I think but, what you're saying is important as well. It's not about being right. It's about trying to understand. If you try yeah. to be right all the time, you are not going to get anywhere and you're not going to resolve any conflict, right? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It just keeps going on and on and on. Yeah, um, exactly. 
And I also love what you were saying, because I think when it comes to meeting your forever person, and certainly something that I've observed in my clients is that when you do end up in a healthy, long lasting relationship, you know, in our twenties, for example, uh, you know, often sex is like the top five, one of the top five things that are most important in a relationship. But I found that when it comes to healthy, long lasting relationships, oftentimes it's not even top 10, you know, it's great, Mm. but it's certainly not the main attraction. Right. And it's not, it's not as consistent or, or as it may have been, you know, back in the day where it was all about, you know, the sexual chemistry, there's a lot more that's sort of bringing you together as a couple. And that's what I'm hearing in your relationship now. Mm, it's very much that way. Like we had a whole bunch of sex toys and stuff arrive today because um, we're always about experimenting with things. Like we might, we'll have dry spills where it'll be, you know, um, you know, we focus on trying to do it and then we get stressed with work and life happens. And then we're like, okay, we're just not in the mood. One's the mood, one isn't. So there's always a balancing act there. We find the best way to kind of keep things interesting is to introduce new shit. Um, like, it's that novelty. That's yeah. it. Because that's what is exciting in the beginning. Everything is new. Yeah. And so it's about maintaining that sense of novelty in your relationship as time goes by. Exactly. We found like, even when we were having a down week and it got really stressed, we had a whole bunch of work on, we found even like going, well, fuck it, let's go to a sauna in, in Sydney. Um, and because he had never been, and I had been to this one, we went together and we're like, oh, let's try that room. Let's try that room. Let's see, you know, what sparks some sort of adventure. But because we did that and we made it exciting, it became exciting and it was a turn on. So then the sexual drive came back. Um, so we find that sometimes spicing it up makes it interesting, but we totally understand now. And I guess we kind of looked at it from the start because at the very beginning it was, we were having a lot of it but it didn't start there. Like it was more a friendship, but then months later, like we were like every day, nearly every week, it was a thing. Now it's slowed down to a couple of days a week. Maybe a couple of weeks will pass where there'll be nothing, but we're still intimate. We hold hands, we're cuddling, we kiss, and we find that they're stronger. Um, I love what you're saying. They're way more important than sex. If you can't be intimate with each other, like we'll jump in the shower together, we'll cuddle in the shower, we'll kiss in the shower, or we'll sit on the couch and watch a movie, have popcorn and be in each other's arms. Like that's more important to me than the sexual side. And that's something that I've come to learn in this relationship is very much about the human connection than it is about the the sexual side of it. Which, you know, if the human connection is there and you're both in the mood and you because you do have that intimacy, sex will follow. Um, it's not something that you have to lead with, which I honestly thought was something you had to do, but. Well, again, it comes down to like education and cultural conditioning, you know, we're, we're sort of conditioned to think that, that sex is like the most important thing in a relationship. But what you're saying is so true. There are so many other forms of intimacy and I'm curious, right? Because there's a lot of research to suggest exactly what you just said, that oftentimes holding hands or kissing, uh, is more intimate than the, you know, sex itself Mm. in your job as an escort. Would yeah. you would you sort of explore those same forms of intimacy absolutely. with your clients? Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I never really worked out with real relationships, not simulated ones as a worker, but with real relationships, I never really worked out that those things were more important until 
like I started doing them because I only always ever lived with sex in a relationship and then I, would, I kind of held back on everything else. But I did notice that with my clients, I was always doing the holding hands, touching their leg, um, you know, looking at them and sustaining eye contact and, and those sort of visual cues or small physical interactions were enough to kind of ease that person's anxiety or it might have made them feel comfortable. It may have made them smile. It wasn't also, it wasn't always about giving them an erection, but, um, you know, if it did great, cause that was part of the booking. But, um, if it was an emotional response or anything like that, just from holding hands or uh, some sort of interaction, a lot of the clients I had when I was working full-time as a worker, they valued those way more than the sexual side. And I'd be at the end of a booking and I'd always question it. And I never really, the penny didn't drop until obviously this most recent relationship I'm in now. But throughout those things, I was always like, you just paid like several hundred dollars for me to be with you. And you booked me off an escort site where I had like everything on display and you booked me with these particular intentions. The booking's over. We haven't had sex, but you're happy and you feel fulfilled. And I'm like, it took me ages to work out. I'm like, you booked me for that. I'm thinking, why couldn't you? Like, you're such an attractive guy or you're a very switched on person. Surely you can get that by having an interaction with somebody in the real world, I guess. is kind of but my way. see, of- what we're talking about is the one thing money can't buy. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. And it took me ages for that penny to drop where yeah. I was like, oh, I get it now. But I only get it now because I had done it with my clients and it was fake. And then when I did it in a relationship, I felt it differently. I was like, oh, it's reciprocated. Like it wasn't like a warm hand touching a cold hand. Both hands were warm. Um, And so that feeling that I have in a relationship is very different to what I had as a worker. Um, Like I was always warm to the client. The client was always cold because they were seeking more from me. But in a relationship, you've got that balance. And if you're both interacting physically, you feel that connection with them. So I totally value the the intimacy stuff way more than than the sex. The sex is great. Um, but the intimacy stuff is something that lacked in every other relationship I had. Um, or it was fake and you could definitely tell. I can tell the difference now um, between best way to liken it is when I was working as a sex worker and then had those relationships, the intimacy that I thought I had with those partners felt the same as what it was with a client. So I didn't really know the difference until I landed in this relationship where when I do hold the hand or we do sit together or we do intimate things, it feels equal. Like there's that warmth on both sides. It's not hot and cold. So it was, yeah, it's interesting, but it's taken a while to get there with that sort of understanding of what a balanced relationship is versus a relationship where you're trying too hard on one side but the 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 trying to maintain a relationship isn't on isn't equal where you're putting so much effort in but the other side isn't um and if you're doing having a relationship like that it's it's doomed from the start like find a way out (laughs) totally exit immediately but you know you said something interesting you know you obviously have these super loving and supportive parents and Mm. yet you know it's taking you all this time to you know sort of identify what true intimacy and connection and love looks like so why do you think that is 
you know, is it because of the movies that we watch? Is it just a natural evolution of getting to know yourself more and therefore being able to connect to other people more? Yeah, I think I ultimately think that it's come from understanding myself a lot more. Like at one point I thought I was a straight kid that was possessed by the devil because he was gay and had to pray it away, right? And then I thought, well, no one's going to want me because I'm broken. And then when I identified myself as gay and, and embraced my sexuality, that's when I kind of worked out, okay, I this is something new to me, but I have to understand it from my perspective and I need to be comfortable with that part of myself because now that that's who I identify as, what does that mean? So I landed into relationships throughout that journey where they weren't great relationships because I was still not fully comfortable with myself. And if you're not comfortable with yourself, you're going into a relationship is not the best thing to do because you'll be trying to work out how to make yourself comfortable and then you kind of settle and then you're in a relationship that doesn't make you happy. Um, and that's what I did a lot of. But I I found later on that once I had become comfortable and I had sat with my own feelings for a bit, which I did in Melbourne for a few years, um, and go, okay, when I wasn't working, I'd sit at home and journal. I write down, okay, this is how I feel today. This is what I did today. Haven't had a client for two weeks. How does that make me feel? What am I feeling? Is it because I don't feel wanted or needed because I haven't had a booking for a few weeks because it was COVID and things had gotten crazy in Victoria and it was locked down for nearly two years. But it was interesting because I didn't want to put myself at, at risk there. So I spent a lot of time at home writing notes and, and journaling and in that moment, I was where I was able to work out, okay, am I actually comfortable with who I am? Do I want to be this, this sex worker forever? Is it fulfilling? Is, is this all that there is for me? And so because I had spent a lot of my career as a sex worker becoming comfortable with myself and the personality I created and living through the eyes of, of my clients... I still had a sense of disconnection from myself and who I wanted to be. And it wasn't really until, and this is like after heaps of different relationships that I had that were abusive and not the best and, and things. And I'd come out those and go, okay, I've learned something there. I've learned something here. All these relationships were very karmic because I came out the other side of life lesson, but they were re- somewhat overlapped. There were somewhat similar life lessons. And I'm like, okay, I clearly haven't got the memo. What's the memo? And then by journaling, I got the memo was that, hang on a minute sex work is part of what you've done for yourself and your sexuality and identifying who you are, but it's not you. Um, being a, like I've created Jet Black as a character to hide behind while exploring my sexuality. It also became a brand through my career, but Jet is not Brayden. And being able to work that out and disconnect the two was really important because elements of Jet translated into Brayden and Brayden translated into Jet, but then when they became blurred I would take a fight or flight response to become one or the other. And I found that Braden was very insecure, but as Jet, I was really confident. So the merge between the two in the end was basically, I now wear Jet's wardrobe <laughs> um, and Braden is Braden. So it's what you see is what you get, but I suppressed a lot of that. Um, but then by taking those notes and going, well, what parts of myself do I like? I like the fact that I stand up for myself. I like the fact that I don't let people take control of me and that I challenge my own destiny and I challenge perception and I challenge status quo. I like the fact that I'm smart and intelligent. I like the fact that I've had lived experiences, but I don't regret them. Um, 
once I got past that feeling of regret from things that I had gone through and going, look, I subjected myself to these things. I can't play the victim card. I put myself in these situations, but not willingly knowing the outcome of what they would be. So yeah, okay, they weren't great, but what did I learn from that? Only when I did that and released every single part of my being that was still tied down to those negatives, did I actually go, right, I now know who I am. Um, I'm comfortable with these positives. I need to work on these. So then I worked on the things that I wasn't happy with and they became things that I was happy with. And then I became really comfortable with myself to the point where I'm like, I don't give a fuck what people think. Um, you know, if you like me, great. If you hate me, that's your problem. There's clearly a problem with you and what your perception on who I should be is. And that ain't a fit for me. So see you later. But once I became comfortable with that knowledge in myself and, and who I am, people came towards me that liked that and they weren't trying to change me and they liked that part of me. And I could see that they were genuinely there for me as much as I was there for them. And I'm like, okay, this is a workable relationship. This is what real friends are. This is what real relationships are. Um, and breaking that um, cycle or that pattern I had as a sex worker, because I applied a lot of that to my relationships, it was the smartest thing I could do because it allowed me to actually see what was real and what was fake a lot clearer than just applying this whitewashed narrative to things, which just confused the situation um, and broke me down a bit. So I needed to take that time away. That that few, few years of lockdown during COVID was probably the best two years I had because I could literally focus on myself, hit the gym, change my diet, slow down the bookings, focus on myself, um, make some good connections that were friends that were in the industry that knew themselves and were very positive and, and challenge, you know, doing their own thing. But equally supportive of mine and I was of them. So that was really great. Um, and then, yeah, met the guy I'm with now because of it. But I know that if I was not in the headspace I was in and if I had not made those realisations, there's no way in hell this relationship would work. It would have started the same way as all the others and it would have ended the same, well, not the same way as some of them, but it would have ended the way it started. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That I feel like you one. just gave the listeners a, a free therapy session <laughs> <laughs> because that's literally how to break it down and become aware of your own relationship patterning and then change it for the better, you know? Yeah. And it's it's just remarkable that you did use that time during COVID, right, to really do the work on yourself. And that's what it looks mm. like. And that's that's the benefit, right? The upside of doing the work, it leads you to the type of relationship that you're in now, not only with your partner, but with yourself. Yeah. I'm at a point, like I was at a point in, towards the last couple of years of living in Melbourne where I was like, I comfortably live here now and do my own thing. I don't need a person to complete me. Boom. And then you met your person. And then I met my person. I'm like, for fuck's sake. And the, funny, and the funny thing is, and people always say, oh, when you least expect it, you'll meet them. But that's part of the puzzle. But unless you understand yourself, that's never going to happen for you. Um, and, you know, not until you've landed in that and you've gone through that, do you realize that the only time you meet your person or meet a person that could be your person is if you understand yourself because it's when you meet yourself, right? Yeah, exactly. Person. And you know, that can liken that back to when I looked in a mirror and denied my sexuality and help kids come out and then go, well, I've just met myself. I can't keep looking at these kids and go, 
oh, no, God doesn't love you because you're gay. It's like, no, well, he loves everybody. So and I'm thinking, well, hang on, how can the church say he hates me if I'm telling kids that he loves them? So, like, it's it was that mirror image approach that happened at the start of my journey to embracing my sexuality, which I then ended up facing again with my relationships and then coming out the side of that with a journal and going, okay, well, the journal is now my mirror. Like, who the fuck am I and what do I want to accomplish in my life and why do I want a relationship? And when you sit there and go, well, I don't need a relationship because I now understand who I am, that's when I met the person. The cool thing is, is that we both come from situations of grief or trauma that we can somewhat relate to, but we both have a very similar understanding of what a relationship is um, from a similar perspective. Like, we both understand ourselves. We're both self-sufficient. We're not um, codependent in any way. Um, and it's very balanced there where I think that if you've got a sense of codependency and you you crave a relationship because you feel you need one, that should be a red flag for you to go, okay, relationship's not right for me because if I need a relationship, then I need to work on myself. Um, that's something I learned through that journaling phase in those few years in Melbourne, I'm like, I'm not ready for a relationship. Like I I would love one because there's nothing better than having that feeling that someone loves you and you've got that part of that person in your life. That's a great feeling. And we're but, social creatures, right? Like it's actually yeah. natural for us to be in relationships. The question really is what is the health of your relationships? And yeah. if they're not healthy, then you probably are better off being on your own and doing this Absolutely. work. Yeah, yeah. And I had a lot of relationships earlier on where I was like, yeah, it's great, it's fun. But that's all it was. It was only fun. Yeah. And calling or it escapism or a distraction, right? Like, you know, fun, yeah. but but also when it's not fun, it's these other things. Or it's just lust <laughs> or infatuation, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, but it's not healthy. <laughs> Definitely wasn't healthy. Those those last few relationships weren't healthy. They were fun. I learned from them. But every time I learned something, I went to the next relationship without repeating the same problem, but it was not, it it wasn't realistic. It was still, you know, it was still an element of codependency or there was still an element of misunderstanding or not exactly what I wanted or what I actually needed um, for myself. So. Or lack of authenticity, I think. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was missing because I wasn't being authentic to myself. Exactly. and it wasn't until I made those realizations about myself and who I wanted to be versus the characters I had created. Um, that's where the harsh realization was there. Okay, wait a minute. You know, I'm blending too much here. Um, you know, I know who I am. I know who I want to be, but I can't be one element of myself. I am myself. So when you embrace your whole self, you're like, oh yeah, cool. Now I get it. Um and people find that confronting because there's too many different facets to who I am. I'm the creative, I'm the marketer, I'm the I'm the person in the sex industry, but at the same time, it's still me. So it wasn't until I kind of connected all the dots that I became really comfortable with who I am because it's like, yeah, these are all facets. If you ask me a question, I'll answer it. Um, but if you've got to be prepared for the answer, because I ain't going to really skirt around the edges unless I think it's going to follow me later. But <laughs> but a, a lot of what I've come to realize is that putting those pieces together was the best thing I could do for myself because that's what made me comfortable to be open to a relationship, to let the right person in 
and not just go, oh, there's a pattern of behavior. I'll look for the pattern because you subconsciously look for what you were familiar with before. Absolutely. And you go, oh, well, I know I can understand this person. He's got an addiction problem too. Oh, well, I can handle that because my last partner had an addiction and I know how that happened, but that ended that way. So I won't let that happen this time. Mm-hmm. That ain't the right way to go about it. Um, yeah. What's familiar is not always you yeah. know, safe or healthy or exactly. right for you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You said something interesting uh, uh, before about how not every uh, romantic partner of yours was okay with you working uh, mm. in the adult industry. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, how did that impact your romantic relationships and what did you do about it? And are you still, uh, you know, escorting today and, and is your partner okay with it? Yeah. So the relationships I had in the past weren't comfortable with it. And look, Part of it was originally, originally I had thought they weren't comfortable with it because it was out of jealousy. Um, I eventually worked out once those relationships were over, it was about control. Then I had a few relationships with people that didn't understand the industry and thought, well, we're in a relationship together. We have sex. So why are you sleeping with other people? But even though I explained to them that a lot of my clients don't want the sexual side they're just older guys that wanted a younger guy to hang off them and go oh look what I've got toy boy sort of thing on the side but it was never really overly sexual the other side of it was that a lot of people that don't understand the industry couldn't understand how you could have sex with somebody and then come home and have sex with them um and I spent a lot of time explaining to ex-partners that what I have with my clients is not emotionally invested as it is with a relationship it's very different and how I treat my profession is like work you know you go to work you put on a uniform you become a character you do your job you come home you take it off and you're you again um that's kind of how I tried to split the two between being a worker and being in a relationship but a lot of my partners in the past could not wrap their head around it it's like but you're still having sex with them like they find you attractive you clearly find them attractive if you're sleeping with them too and it's like well that's not always the case like I'm hired to do a job. My job is to do that if that's where it goes, but it's not intended, but they book me for a particular requirement and that's my job role. If you're not comfortable with my profession, then we're not going to be a match here because you don't respect my profession. So I spent a lot of time saying no to people. Like even when I worked myself out, I had lots of people approach me. Oh, we think you're great. You're confident. We love you energy. We love the fact that you're so honest and raw about your experiences and you just tell it how it is. But they didn't like the fact that when I told them I was a sex worker, they were like, oh, uh, too much for me. And it's like, okay, well, you're not the right person. So I shut a lot of doors down. Um, In the current relationship I'm in, it's still a no-go zone, but it's not from the perspective of misunderstanding. It's from the perspective of, I guess, having been through the relationships we've both been through, we see, like I definitely see, it's not something that I've been forced to feel. I feel that because I've embraced my identity and I understand myself as a worker and I understand myself as someone in the industry, I also understand that who I am as Jet Black is not who I want to be all the time. And I don't want that to compromise the relationship I have now. So I made the conscious decision to stop working as a sex worker in this relationship. It's not because I don't enjoy it and it's not because I hated it. I actually loved working as a sex worker and I loved changing people's perspectives and I liked helping them 
emotionally connect with themselves. And it's something that I, I still think back and I'm like, God, I loved when I changed that person's life and I made their relationship stronger and I did all these things and helped them reconnect with themselves or their partner. It could have been a threesome booking. It could have been a couple. It could have been a single person that goes, look, I get clients messaging me still going, Je- I always remember that time when you helped me, you know, understand my sexuality. And we had that chat at that dinner and it's like, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh my God, I can't believe you remember that. That was like seven years ago. But they still message me and it's like, oh, I remember that. And I'm so glad that person's come from where they were to now. So kind of feel like, and I'm like a a somewhat glorified psychologist that turns tricks on the side um, as a sex worker, but I I think there's an element of that, you know, there's a huge element of understanding basic psychology and being able to apply that to what you do, right? Totally. And it's part of the value add as being a worker to understand your clients and know that they don't all approach you the same way. They've all got different insecurities. You've got to crack through that in the first five, six minutes. And you know, it's a half hour, an hour booking. They've come to you with an expectation of having a sexual relationship with you in that hour. Your job as the escort is to understand how do we get them to that point if that's what they want with that booking. But nine times out of 10, it never gets there because they just want to have a conversation and they value that a hell of a lot more. So it's it's interesting now having stopped working as a worker I value the intimacy stuff in my relationship a lot more. I also found when I was working and dating people that I could still switch on and off between Jet and Braden, but if I had a bad day as working as Jet, it would come home um, to the relationship. And just as much as any other one, anybody else has a shit day at work, come home, it you know, it does impact on the relationship. But the fact that it was sexual or emotional related clients for me versus partners in the past that were in, you know, nine to five jobs that were, could have been just in energy supply companies or like, you know, not the most fun or exciting job roles, but, you know, they're in professions that where you white collar shit. So whereas I'm not in that space, but yeah, they they had an issue with it. Like I'd come home and go, oh, I had a bad day of client. Well, uh, do you want to talk about it? It's like, no, I don't really want to talk about it because if I tell you what happened with the booking, it's going to make you uncomfortable. And like, so I didn't really have a chance to talk about it in a relationship and go, you know, I had a shit day at work today. What did you do? Oh, well, the client did this. And then I said no, and he kept going. And, you know, the, no one in a relationship wants to hear that their partner was assaulted in a booking or a client went too far when you said no, they kept going. Um, they are elements of working as a sex worker that happen and it's up to you how you handle that internally. Sometimes when you're in a relationship, you feel like you can tell them, tell that person that you feel cares about you and you've got that relationship, but then you know that they're uncomfortable with it. So that faced me a fair bit once I understood myself a lot more and then went into those relationships. I'm like, I can't really talk about it. It's a known, but it can't be spoken about. Um, and that kind of ate away at me a bit which is partly the reason why I don't work today. Uh, The other part of it is the fact that I feel a sense of fulfillment now in myself that I didn't feel when I was working as a sex worker. I was doing it because I lacked social connections and I missed social and sexual engagement so much that I was doing it through my clients and I got something out of it and my clients got something out of it. It then very quickly became my clients were the only people getting stuff out of me which I hated in previous relationships. Um, I was giving, 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 and they were taking, 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 but it wasn't. I wasn't getting anything back. So once I got to a point where I wasn't getting anything back, in that last couple of years of working in, in Victoria, I decided I needed to stop it 
um, because of, or at least pause for a period of time. And it wasn't until I paused and I was seeing, I had regular clients that were pre-booked, like people that would come and see me every week or clients that booked regularly for a week or two. Uh, and they were all on my Rolodex and they were pre-booked, pre-paid and things. When I met my current partner, I we had only just kind of got to know each other the first couple of weeks. Come to week three or four, I had a client that I had known for years message me and say, I want to meet you today at this time, blah, blah, blah. My immediate reaction, which I had never had with any partner in the past, was I immediately rang my current partner, who I'm with now, he's the guy I was seeing in Melbourne, which we've been together now for a few years. I said, I have a client and I haven't told you. And I hadn't told him about the sex work stuff up until that point because I was scared to do it because of everyone in the past. But we had communicated a lot more and I was very open and honest. said, look, I have an opportunity here to make money. It is a career. It's my business. This is what I do for work. I've slowed down on it, but I have this client that wants to book me and this is what they want to do. And it's a last minute booking, but I have to tell you about it because I don't want to do it if it's going to hurt you because it's, and that's not a conversation I've ever had with previous partners because I was very much, this is my rules. This is how I work. This is my job. Take it or leave it. But it's the first time in a relationship where I've felt my feelings validated and valued and reflected that this person felt the same way in return that I just felt like I owed him the option to say yes or no, or express himself. And he came back and said, look, thank you. Is it like, had you have gone and done it and not told me, I would have broken up with you there and then. The fact that you rang me and told me and asked, you know, is this a problem for you? He said, clearly shows the fact that you respect me as much as I respect you because you rang me and asked. Um, and having that conversation with him and going, okay, what are your reasons for and against? Why does it make you uncomfortable? And we had that conversation because he was back in Sydney at that point and coming up the next day. And I didn't want to, part of me was like, I don't want to get with this client because his client was a, a bit of a risk scenario because sometimes he had something, sometimes he didn't in terms of an STI. I didn't want to bring that home. So I didn't want to really like this guy. So I was like, I don't really want to, you know, have this guy that's really into me and potentially relationship material find out that I'm a sex worker by getting an STI the next day <laughs> comes here and goes, I just got home. And I have this and you were, what, were you fucking people behind my back while we're dating? Like, I didn't want any of that coming up and then having to tell him I was a sex worker. So telling him there and then that I was a worker, that I had a client messaging me, made me, it just, I felt I owed that to the relationship. And we had that conversation and I ended up cancelling on the client. And it wasn't because he told me to, like my partner told me to. It was because he said, look, it's your work. I don't want you to lose an income. I know this is your job. I respect that. Um, you know, am I fully comfortable with it? No, but I understand that you do it and it's work and that what we have is not the same thing. He said, but do you really need to do it? That was the question he asked me at the end of the call. And I'd sat with me for a bit and I was like, do I need to do this? Because I had already had these realizations in my head that I was only doing sex work because I got something out of it and the client got something out of it. But then it was only me giving and them taking. And I wasn't comfortable with that imbalance as a sex worker. And I finally met someone that was giving and taking and I was giving and taking and it was balanced. And I had the question posed, do you need to do this? 
is this necessary? Because I had other income. It wasn't my only income. It was part of my, what I do for work. And I sat with that and went, no, I don't. If it was something I had to do, and is it something that I want to do, given that it wasn't balanced? It wasn't balanced. So I turned the booking down. Still to this day, I don't work as a sex worker. Um, I, I have a lot of knowledge of the industry, which I impart to my clients. And it's part of what I do for work. But I've made the conscious decision not to work. It has been challenging at times because there are clients that I remember quite fondly that I've had really good social interactions with, but I know there's an element there where it could go in the sexual direction. And the last thing I'd want to do is say to my partner, yeah, I'm working as a sex worker. And then, you know, we had a few too many drinks and I ended up sleeping with them. I wouldn't want to put myself in a situation where I'm obligated to work and offer a service and then disappoint the client, which would then disappoint me and then obviously upset my partner. So I look at things a lot differently now than what I used to. And I've made those realizations about myself that I'm much more happier in a relationship where it's balanced and there's mutual respect and communication and caring and intimacy than having this hot, cold um, relationship with clients as a sex worker, because I'm now in a position in my life where I'm not really doing it because I'm gaining anything. I'd only be doing it because I had to, but I'm not in a position where I have to anymore. So like I said, a lot of sex workers do things for different reasons. Um, and a lot of people in the drag or entertainment scene do it for different reasons. I did sex work to understand my sexuality. I understand myself a lot more now than I ever did. Um, and I don't think accepting bookings now as a sex worker is something I'm prepared to do or want to do because I'm happy where I am. Um, and I don't want to lose that either. So yeah, that, that's a realization I've made over the last couple of years. And even in the last two years together, I've had moments where I've gone, I, I want to go back to doing it. But then we sit down and have a conversation about it. And I'm like, you know what? I still don't want to do it. I, part of me misses the like the interaction I have with my clients. I miss that part of it, the social side of it. But no, I don't really feel like putting myself on display for an hour or being all over the internet and having me in a jock strap and a leather jacket and stuff all over Rent Men, where my profiles are still live. It's just that I don't accept bookings anymore because I don't mentally or emotionally need them um, as much as what I did when I started. So. Yeah, I guess that's my explanation as to why I don't work as a sex worker currently. Yeah, um, <laughs> it, it reminds me of a conversation that my dad and stepmom had, <laughs> obviously yeah. not about sex work, but uh, <laughs> a, an, an ex of hers, uh, you know, got in contact with her and, and said, how about coffee? And my stepmom said to my dad, you know, just let her, let him know, you know, an ex of mine has reached out and he wants to do coffee. Like, what are your thoughts? And my dad's response was, you know, do you need to do that? What mm. will you get out of it? And she had the exact, she went through the exact same process that you did. She kind of sat with it a bit and was like, yeah, what's my why? Like, yeah. am I actually in a, at a point in my life where I need to do that anymore? You know, mm. now that I'm married and I'm in a really happy relationship and she reached the same conclusion that you did, right? You know, yeah. it's, it, you know, there was no real reason to do that. Uh, and, you know, and it just sounds like you've entered a different stage of your life and you're honoring that. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I've had friends reach out to me that were friends years ago. And these are like, these aren't even sexual relationships or anything. These are just people. 
that had reached out and we were friends during our early schooling back in primary when we were like nine or 10 years old. I'm now in my 30s, haven't heard from them for years. They messaged me out of the blue and they want to reconnect. And again, I asked myself the same question, why? What's the why here? You've reached out to me because you're in a you're in a situation where you feel like you need me back in your life, but you haven't needed me in your life for years. And now all of a sudden you're reaching out to me, but where, you know, ships passing in the night. Like I haven't heard from you for years. Like there's nothing here. Okay. So I had to reflect on it and I reflect on it the same way. What's the why? I could, yes, definitely reconnect with them and build a relationship and start a new friendship. I'd love to new, I'd love to have more friends. It'd be great. But what's the purpose? Like there would be a reason why after all these years have passed, you've all of a sudden reached out. And I entered that conversation with that individual and it ended up being completely single-sided. And a lot of the pushback I got from that individual was more about um you know, their relationship circumstances and their children and some of the illnesses the kids had. And I'm like, now you're pushing that onto me. Yeah. Like I wanted to understand the the why, what's your why for reconnecting and what would be my why for saying yes. Um, and it wasn't balanced. So I did the same thing. I was like, you know, I appreciate you sharing that with me. I'm glad to hear you've, you know, you've made some positive steps in your relationship and, you know, may have not ended up in the way you anticipated, but you've got kids that love you. You've got kids that you love, you know, focus the energy into your family and I wish you all the best. Like I had to close that chapter. And I do that with a lot of people today because I've seen the benefit of understanding my why in my relationship and why I did what I did by ditching sex work as a profession but I didn't do it because I hated it. I did it because there was there was no reason to continue for my purpose. Um, and so now I kind of apply that logic to most social circumstances. Is oh, you know, do I have to try too hard with that individual, or is this too hard basket? And it's not because I don't want to put the effort in. It's because I know it won't be reciprocated. Um, and so now I balance everything on that on that basis, but. It has been an eye-opener. It's definitely not the way in which I approached the world before. (laughs) Yeah, but I think what you're saying is so important. We always have a choice to pursue the relationships in our life, right? And we get to decide what our boundaries look like. And it's okay Mm. to outgrow people or situations, you know, and, and, you know, to act accordingly. Uh, But I think so often we sort of maintain these relationships out of guilt uh, or obligation. and, And, you know, really what's the point of that? And that's the good point you make there as well, Nicole, is that guilt and obligation are things that you kind of end up doing if you start a relationship with sex. If we go back to that, yeah, um, starting a relationship with with sex, you feel obligated to continuously have it. Yeah. You have an argument so you have sex. You well, it's the only thing you have in common. <laughs> yeah. So when you when you when that's all you've got going for you and you do that, your your relationship becomes based on something. But at least you know that if you entered a relationship on friendship and it started from a balanced and equal and understanding process of getting to know someone and then you roll it together for several years, if it started with friendship, it'll end that way. And Mm -hmm. I really don't think that if you had a relationship that ended in a positive way, that if you ended up in a new relationship, that if you could explain that to your partner, that they'd be like, yeah, you can be friends with that person. You know, you were together for several years. It started as a friendship. It wasn't sexually fueled. It ended in a positive way. You went your separate ways. Your partner would probably be less inclined to say, mm, I'm not comfortable with that. 
because it wasn't an abusive ending. It was more of a, you know, it was a oh, mutual. True. Ending. I never considered that. Like, yeah, you're pro- you should probably be more wary of the ones that were based on sexual chemistry and ended in a toxic totally. way. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. that person, like that relationship was toxic to start with. It was sex-based, manipulative in some area. I'd be more cautious of someone being friends with someone that came out of a relationship like that than a relationship that started as friends, it fizzled out and it ended politely. Okay. Then a relationship that was sexually filled ended with rape. And then five years later, they want to go and meet him for a drink because they're a changed person. I'd be more skeptical of that than what I would be someone that was in a relationship, they were high school sweethearts and ended and they were friends because they went in two different directions. Yeah. And now they, that because that person may end up having their own kids, might have a wife, they've gone in a completely different direction. I wouldn't object to that one because they've taken a new chapter. And and you were always friends, right? Exactly. That's yeah. the point. No, yeah. so, so ask say, how it ended. <laughs> yeah, how did your last relationship end? It's like an interview. So they're your yeah. questions. They're the questions. And they're the questions that I asked my partner and he asked me. Yeah. was very much where did your relationship end? And I'm like, well, if you really want to know the story, I'll have to talk to you in person about it because it's pretty heated. Um, <laughs> but I went into, deep, went into a lot more detail with it than what I have on here. Yeah. Um, but that last relationship was pretty pretty full on. And so we we swapped war stories. But yeah. because we're open about our past with each other, it allowed us to relax into this journey. It's like, okay, well, we like each other. That's obvious. But let's see if we click. Mm. Um, and then even like we threw ourselves in the deep end, like a month and a half, you know, I met his parents and then he met mine. And the cool thing is his parents live in Brisbane. So do mine now. So that was kind of handy, but it's interesting that we did that. We went through Christmas together. We did, I met his clients cause he's a hairdresser in the Southern Highlands. So the fact that we're I'm now based in the Southern Highlands of New South Wales and he's quite well known in his profession. A lot of the people I met were his clients and he has a lot of them. And so I had to kind of get through them. <laughs> it's so, it was like a, it was a very heavy job interview, but I totally get it because he had a history of previous relationships that weren't the best. And he'd come out of, um, you know, a relationship where he was engaged and it, it didn't go the way in which it had been portrayed, I guess, in media. And that was a, a problem, but we've been able to push through that. And we've both come out the other side of it a lot stronger because we've communicated about things. Yeah. And you know, what I'm hearing is having gone through all those hurdles, right. Or job mm. interviews, uh, it, it helps it, you know, you to make an informed decision about the person you're potentially about to share your life with. Right. Uh, I have so many friends and clients who will tell me, you know, three or five years into their relationship that they don't talk about finances or how they're going to raise their kids, or they mm. never, you know, talk about an, a disagreement that they have. They just sweep it under the rug. And, you know, you're going to end up in a lot of trouble or in a broken relationship, right? If you don't have those conversations. So I, I think it's wonderful that you went through so much uh, so early on in your relationship. Yeah, I think all the shit I went through prior was really handy um, because you come out the other side a lot stronger and you don't replicate it now in the good ones. And if you learn, if you learn. Yeah, if you learn. (laughs) It took four relationships for me to come out the other side and go, oh, I get it now. Um, (laughs) The universe is like, wake up. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's like, how bad can we make this relationship next relationship so he really understands? <laughs> totally. The one thing we both established was that we communicate. And I know like heaps of dating coaches and relationship people will harp on about communication is key, but it actually is. Yeah, it's not bullshit. Uh, <laughs> it's not bullshit. <laughs> so like, I communicate with my husband all the time and we still fight. No, no, no. But it's not the fact that you communicate. It's the, it's the understanding and how you approach that communication. It's not just, oh, well, we talk or that's okay. So there's something you've got, you know, you're talking, that's a start. But um, it's the mutual understanding is like, do you have a conversation and do they say back to you? Yes, I understand what you're saying. Um, this is how you feel and this is how this is how you got there and is it because of me? And do you have a deep conversation or is it just they sit there and listen and you talk at them? There's a big difference between communication okay. and just talking for the sake of talking. Um, and that's something that we established in our relationship is that we actually communicate. We in the past, we just spoke at, spoke at our partners in the past and they're like, I, I hear you, I understand, I'm sorry you feel that way. But it didn't go any further than an acknowledgement of the issue. The issue was never addressed. It was just heard. Whereas in our relationship, when we have a problem, we talk about it and then we go, okay, well, how do we, how do we fix this? Like, what can I do that will change you from feeling that way? Or is it something I've contributed to? And we sit there and we actually flesh it out. That's a proper communication. So it's communication matched with change behavior, right? Really? Yeah, yeah. 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 And it's it's not what I had in any other relationship, but I would attribute the success of my relationship to those lived experiences because otherwise, without knowing what a relationship is, and I guess when people say, oh, I was in love with them and then I fell out of love with them, it's like understanding what love is. Totally. What do you think love is? Yeah. Like for me, I I feel that for me, particularly with love, I feel that love is, it has to be mutual, but it has to start with yourself. Um, I know from, from working in the industry as a sex worker, I put on a front and I had to be a character and I had to be confident and look like I loved myself just so the client felt like they could, you know, get what they paid for. But by acting became more self-destroying and destructive than anything else. So when I realized towards that seventh and eighth year of my career, who I was and who I was comfortable being, my clients appreciated me a hell of a lot more because I was more authentic. But by being more authentic, it meant that I stepped away from the industry because I wasn't getting what I wanted out of it. So it's funny how that happens. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's interesting. I look back and go, God, I can't believe I did it for that long. Let alone go from church to sex worker as a bit of a bit of a step um, <laughs> or a leap. But um, it, it's it was a whirlwind of a career for me, but it has opened my mind to a few things. And and it definitely in a relationship I've got now where it's it's all about exploration. It's about how do we keep the the passion alive in our relationship? How do we make the next journey exciting together? Like in the first year of our relationship, we traveled Europe. Like, you know, and then our first holiday together up of pre-Europe was the Maldives. Like, wow, it's on my bucket things. list. Gotta go. It's incredible. Um, but you know, there were things that we did, and that was a very romantic and intimate holiday together for a few days in the Maldives. And then we did Europe for a month because his dad wanted to do it, wanted to see Tour de France. So we did that together. Um, but that was all within the first year. And that first year felt like we'd been together for 10 years. 
And maybe think- that's because in gay years, gay years are a lot. It's like dog years. I don't know. <laughs> I love that. I've never heard that before, but I love that. But you know what? I think what you're saying is so important because, uh, you know, so often I hear people who are in relationships that are, you know, stagnant and they don't feel like they're growing together or creating new memories. And yeah. that is dangerous territory for a relationship, you know? Uh, yeah. That's when you grow bored of one another, right? Uh, yeah. or, or become, you know, sort of... Uh, you know, like, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Strangers in your relationship, right? Uh, And so it's so important to constantly have goals uh, and things to look forward to together as a couple in your relationship. Exactly. And that's kind of how we try and keep things interesting and exciting. Hit the sauna one weekend, stayed in an Airbnb. What did you do in this sauna? I have to know. I feel like, (laughs) yeah, I'm like, should I be going to the same sauna as you? Look, we went to a, it's not like a sauna where you sit in the steam room. It's okay. like, it's, yeah. So they're, they're sex on premise venue. Um, um, okay. So, so we're definitely not going to the same sauna then. That's fine. No, it's, different <laughs> sauna. it's not like the place, it's not like the, you know, the, the warm room in the gym. Okay. Um, yeah. No, we're not talking fitness <laughs> first or Fernwood or anything. Um, it's so, yeah. So this, do you really want to know the answer to this question? <laughs> I absolutely do. <laughs> so he had never been and I had been before. And so we booked a private room. So the private room we booked in there had um, a sling in there, had red lights. And so we wanted to explore bondage and BDSM stuff together. So that's what we did in that room. But then the other rooms were more public and are kind of voyeuristic. So to explore that side and to kind of add that, I guess that, oh, we're going to get caught. Because that's always something that I guess it's a fantasy of some people. And I and to kind of make it interesting and thrilling, having him never been to a sauna before and I had been to, I keep saying sauna, so SOPV or a sex on-premise venue. So when I say sauna, I'm talking about Sydney sauna, which used to be called King Steam in Oxford Street. Um, I know this place. Isn't that the same place that has the holes in the wall? Yeah. I and you it's can- across it's across the road from Hungry Jacks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> On yeah, Oxford I, Street. Right. Okay. Yeah. I've never located it before, but I've heard all sorts of wild stories. Like there's so it's always a good whole to level go in that's there. pitch black. Yeah. Like, so you, yes. you go in there and then um, you know, we went in there after we had some chicken nuggets. I think we had, or no, we we do. We had a few alcoholic beverages because I had just done a gig for some ladies. 50th birthday party in drag um and then we decided okay well we're in sydney for the weekend let's make the most of it so then we got back to the hotel had a quick shower went back downstairs because we had a few cocktails at the venue prior at the wed at the the birthday party and then we went across the street to no it wasn't hungry jacks it was a porto I think, no, it's the Porto's one that does the Bondi burgers and the chicken strips and stuff. Yeah. So we went there, we had chicken, we had chicken strips with the mayo and then we went across the street. Okay. We've got our energy food in. So then we went across the street to the sauna, went upstairs, booked the private room, set up the place, had red lights and stuff, which is pretty cool. You know, had that grungy sort of vibe. It's like, okay, this is really sexy and porn like. So we liked that. He liked that. So that was tick. Um, and then throughout, he's like, what's what else is in here? Cause he was kind of a bit, cautious of we didn't really want we we definitely didn't go there to sleep with other people for starters um because we'd already said no to that earlier on in the piece and with the sex worker stuff so that was a no-go zone but we wanted to do stuff in different areas and and explore the space so we tried out the glory holes that's Um, it glory holes (laughs) so there were rooms in there where you've got like 
you stand, one person stands upstairs and then it's got like a ramp part that goes down. So that way you're on different levels. So rather than being on your knees in the dark in this place, like I wouldn't be, it's bad enough walking around in there on your feet, let alone any other body part touching the floor in these places. But, um, we, you know, you're on a different level, so you don't have to bend or do anything. Everything's eye lines. That was great. Um, but we we tried out that. We tried out a few of the other public spaces. We went back to the private room because that was more fun um, together. But I guess il- introducing those elements of walking past rooms and hearing other people fucking and, you know, hearing it and seeing it and being around it gets the heart going a little bit um, because you're like, oh, my God, like I'm in a place where all of this is going on around me. It's quite sensory overload in these venues. And you can either watch the people doing it because they're in public spaces or you can just go back and do your own thing or, you know, go and sit in another area and watch them do it while you guys do it too. Like there's there's all these different options available at these places. And it's a good way to kind of shock yourself into, into a sexual mood or it just opens your mind to, oh, what could I do with my partner, which is what we did um walk around and go oh let's try that you know we just saw we just saw people doing this we should try that um so it was a bit of like a watch and learn sort of fly on the wall place but it was a good experience because we had never done that together I had only been in those places high as kite um with ex-partners but there were different situations whereas going into these venues together basically sober like we had a few cocktails like we weren't fully inebriated and like letting loose. We went in there sober, just had a porto, <laughs> a few cocktails, and then we're like, oh, let's just take a bottle of lube and, you know, um, some video material if we needed it and see what we can experiment with. So the venue is really good for that. Um, you know, there I don't know if it's, there is a straight one, actually. I was about to say there isn't. There is one there. They do um, one in Sydney called Our Secret Spot which is like a swingers venue. Um, but it's, I think it's based around Newtown. It's around that area somewhere. Um, they are more of a straight oriented one. When I say sauna, that one's more like themed rooms. There's no water. Whereas Got the it. gay one I went to has like a massive, it's three levels. It's like an upstairs dark maze section with private rooms that you kind of land in without knowing. Then you hit a button and the light turns on. You're like, oh, it's a room full of mirrors. <laughs> Um, or you've got one room where you push a button and it's like a cage and you're like, okay, do I want to be in the prison or do I want to watch someone get in there? Like, so there's a whole bunch of different layouts, but the straight one I know of, which is our secret spot in Sydney is pretty cool. They also have swinger nights and and things like that, that are more open to relationships, exploring with other couples, or you can just go as a couple and say no to anybody else and just do your own thing in sex on premise venues, like wet on Wellington in Victoria, um that does do similar events good to know there you go for anyone who's interested in trying something like that yeah Uh, you know so what our listeners don't know about you is that you are recognized as one of Australia's top 100 entrepreneurs and you have clients worldwide uh so you know, I'm curious, how do you navigate the duality in societal perceptions when it comes to, you know, the the various fields that you work in? (laughs) Um, Creating different brands. Uh, I learned that early on in the piece that there's Jet and then there's Braden. Um, The two brands, they do kind of overlap, but I've had to do it in a way where the only way you would know is if you had a conversation with me about it. 
I don't really put it front and center. So with mainstream, obviously there's duality in my career because I work in marketing and PR and then there's the adult industry side, but my marketing and PR profession translates into both mainstream and adult industry. So I guess the short story behind why I ended up tackling both what people would call the, the mainstream industry, which is everything else other than adult, is because I started my career in marketing and advertising in the mainstream arena for large marketing firms, but I hated how they operated. I wasn't a big fan of doing work in three hours and then sending a client a 10-hour invoice just because the company wanted to make money. So I decided that that was a conflict of interest for me. And so I went through a lot of agencies that ripped clients off and decided to start my own that didn't um, in the process, taking clients with me that those agencies hated, but that's their fault, <laughs> not mine. <laughs> um, so, you know, maybe if they weren't ripping the clients off, they may still have them. Um, hashtag shade. But um, so the duality in my career, I had to create two different brands. My sex industry career as a sex worker and, and meeting industry peers and meeting businesses and talking to them about the problems they had with building their business and attracting customers and growing a brand was interesting to me because I only ever saw, and probably this is mainly, I think, because I've been in the industry that I never really judged it or saw it how other people did unless I was confronted by people with skewed views, is that they were struggling to market and advertise their businesses because marketing and PR agencies said no. And I could not get my head around why. I'm thinking, you're just a product and a service. I don't understand why these companies are saying no. Their job is to help you build your business, grow your product and increase customers. Like I, I'm not understanding. So I'm like, I think all these people are making it up. So I'm like, okay, you know what? I think all these guys are full of shit. They just haven't tried hard enough. So I did the research and I created a shitty online store and ran around to all these different marketing firms and said, Hey, I need help with my sex shop. Um, or I'm creating a dating application and it's all targeted on this and I need help developing the brand and and all this sort of stuff. And they would come back and say, no, we can't help you. And that would be it. And I'd be like, well, I need a reason why, because you guys are the best in the business. And, you know, who else am I going to go to if you're going to say no to me? Like you do Coca-Cola, you do Pepsi, you do all these massive brands. Like, why are you saying no? It's not an industry we're comfortable touching because it will destroy our bread and butter clients. If they know we work with an adult business, we will lose them as a client. And I thought, okay, that's either a cop-out answer or the goddamn truth. So then I continued to run this particular story um, regarding I have a business. It's in the adult space. I need your marketing help to 45 different marketing and PR firms across Australia. And the feedback, some of them were very abusive. And I screenshotted a shit ton of emails from many firms that now know not to rub me the wrong way or say anything towards me or the industry because they know that their emails will be leaked if they do. Um, I have that as blackmail against them for the shit they sent me because when they worked out who I was, they were like, holy fuck, we should never have written that email. We should have thought twice before putting our name on that. Um, wow. Where they had been completely abusive, you know. Why the fuck would we help a market? Why the fuck would we help a brand in the adult sector that's degrading, that's disgusting? Why our brand would never be affiliated with a business that works in the adult space? Like some of these emails were really 
emotionally charged. And I think that if you work for a brand or a business that represents a lot of mainstream clients, that maybe it's not in your best interest to have a pointed view like that when you are the face of your brand (laughs) or a brand that you work for, because that shit could bite you in the ass at some later day. It's not very progressive, is it? Like times have changed. And And I was shocked. I was literally shocked. This is like, this is going back eight years because Sweet Release has only been around for, for eight or nine years now. Um, that people were saying no. And I thought, well, this is, I don't get it. Like your job's marketing. It, all you're doing is looking at this subjectively and providing a solution. I don't understand why your personal opinion comes into it. But a lot of it was pushed back. So because I was helping my peers and I was working alongside them trying to find a solution for them by talking the marketing lingo, I thought, well, fuck it, I'll do it myself. So I went, okay, well, I've done the research now. You are right. Every fucking firm has said, we're not going to touch the business in the adult space. We don't get it. We're not comfortable. We don't understand it. It's degrading. It's going to damage our bottom line. So I thought, well, what's the point working for a firm that doesn't respect an industry that I'm part of? Um, This industry helped me identify myself, my sexuality. They're clearly not respecting me as an individual. So I left the marketing agencies I worked for based on that understanding and that research I conducted and I started my own firm, but I took on small amounts of businesses and friends in the industry that were struggling. I thought, well, fuck it. Rather than take on the 99% of all businesses, I'll take on the 1% and that's adult businesses and entertainers struggling with building their brands and approach them as a product or a service. So I helped my mates. I had 50 clients or friends back then that needed help. There were sex shops, sex on-premise venues, um, nightclubs, escorts, massage service providers, and a few of them were directories as well, but not not so much. They weren't really popular back then. Escort directories didn't really pop out until Backpage got shut down. Um, and but, not dating and relationship coaches, which I learned the hard yeah. way when I asked you to represent <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah, that too. Um, <laughs> I was like, can you help me with my marketing? I'm like, mm, no. <laughs> you literally said, uh, like, what do you have to do with what I do? You don't work in the adult industry. And I was like, yeah. good point. Good it's point. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> Noted. Um, but, you know, I do work in both spaces, but for, for Sweet Release, it exploded from the fact that I held people in the industry that were struggling that didn't resonate with the industry in a way that made sense because they had great brands or great products, but they didn't necessarily understand how to advertise it. So it was really important for me to help them because the industry helped me in such a way. So I wanted to give back. And so my way of giving back to them was through helping them build their business. And then that word spread like rapid fire. And yeah, very quickly became a brand of my own called Sweet Release Agency, which now has like 5,000 clients internationally, which is insane. Yeah. All because well I decided to step out of my comfort zone and go, well, if no one else is going to help them, who is? Yeah. So that was the trajectory. But, you know, your journey seems to be one of continuous 
self-discovery and reinvention. Like I was looking at your website and I have never met somebody who has studied as much as you have, <laughs> you know, and continues to study. You mentioned over the phone that you're now studying law. Yeah, uh, fuck me. And, Don't ask me why I took that on. And so on that note, you know, of this like continuous self-discovery and reinvention, I'm curious, uh, you know, what advice would you give to others who are struggling to love themselves or accept their identity? Look, that was a hard part for me to realize. And the only way I became able to embrace my identity and be comfortable with it was to experiment. Um, but my secondary advice to that would be to experiment with caution and maybe do your research a little bit before you just throw yourself in the deep end like I did. Um, but that was probably is had I with hindsight if that was a thing for me, I would not have thrown myself in a deep end as brutally as I did to myself. Um, that's just because had I have known the challenges I would have faced, I probably would have navigated it a little bit better. But definitely putting yourself out there and being authentic to yourself is really important. But but being able to navigate that without fear is, is also is also something worth considering. Um, the fact that I had supportive family or had a support system behind me was a benefit that a lot of people don't really have, uh, especially in, using queer community as a as an example. A lot of young kids that come out generally, sadly, don't have relationships with their family where it's supportive. And so they come out and then they're on their own. And then it's like, now I've got to go create my own family um, of friends or people that will support me. So I think it's important that anyone that's trying to explore their sexuality or understand themselves or having gone through this process myself is to actually have a support network or create one before you take that leap. Because taking the leap is exciting and it's thrilling and it's exhilarating if you just throw yourself into it. But you've got to be prepared for the hurdles because there's a lot of hurdles you'll go through that will either shape you and into who you want to be and you'll learn from them or they'll break you. And in those points where you do get broken, you've got to know that you've got a support system or someone you can turn to and go, hey, this has just happened to me. And they can pull you out of that um, headspace of, am I doing the right thing? Because then you'll fall into old patterns of behavior or you repeat a cycle, which I repeated a few. So I I would make the recommendation anyone that's trying to work themselves out to be honest with yourself and who you want to be and and follow that. Maybe keep a little book like I did at the end. I was journaling and I'm like, oh, why didn't I do this at the start? Write out my feelings like my psychologist told me to do years ago, but I never did it until I wanted to. And then when I did, I'm like, oh, I should have really done this earlier because it actually helps. Um, so... Anyone trying to find themselves a journal, write down what you want to achieve. Who are you? Write those questions down and explore in your own terms. Definitely don't fall into patterns. And especially if you're coming out like sexuality-wise, if that's something that you're facing personally, definitely don't buy into media or hype and people's impressions of who you are or who you're supposed to be and not who you're supposed to be if it's not resonating with you. So I, I think that's a real solid takeaway is that if you feel that people are putting their expectations on you of who they want you to be and it's not vibing with you, then you need to understand that that's not for you. Because one thing that I had to do very quickly was work out who are my friends, who are my peers, who are my support network outside family 
And I worked out I had 50, 60 friends. But very quickly, once I worked out who they really were, I worked out I had two. There might be experiences out there that you can have that will open up opportunities for you to meet people um, and put yourself out there. But just be conscious of who you trust. Um, That's something that you should always take away from a relationship. If it's not balanced, don't continue it. If there's no trust or mutual respect, question it. Um, And yeah, you'll be able to fight your battles better. But yeah, the, the relationship thing for me was interesting and coming out story was a challenge, but it wasn't a challenge because I didn't have a support network. It was a challenge because it was new. And so people tell, you know, experiencing something new or questioning your sexuality and trying to confront that support network, resources that are out there, coaches, there are heaps of people out there in the the queer space and even in the identity space now in general. Um, you've got Acon, for example, in the queer space where there's full of psychologists and counsellors. Even Beyond Blue has a department now that supports this. So if you're stuck and you're lost, reach out to support services. And if you're trying to fight your own battle, keep a journal because you'll reflect on that and go, what did I do last year on the same day? And go, well, holy fuck, uh, I've come a long way from there. So yeah, definitely have a plan, have a support network, know that you're not alone. That's a big takeaway as well. I always thought I was alone with how I felt about myself. And then I met people that were in the same boat. Um, And I was like, great, I'm not alone. This is not just all in my head. Everyone's going through something similar if they're questioning their identity and and their sexuality. And you just got to be comfortable with the fact that it's a process and it's not an overnight thing I didn't become comfortable with who I was in a day yeah you know it just came to mind yeah (laughs) that you know everyone's also navigating the relationship with themselves right yeah you know so regardless of what your sexual orientation is and so yeah there's definitely always people that you can turn to who will be able to relate and and offer up that support but Mm. as someone who is continuously pushing boundaries where do you see yourself in the next five to ten years Look, I definitely see myself, obviously I've retired as a sex worker, so that's that's a thing at the moment. Um, next few years we'll be getting this law degree out of the way. Um, definitely pushing more in the commercial space, so that'll be the angle there to be a commercial lawyer. I'd love to do that. But definitely tying it to the adult sector. I'd have no interest leaving an industry that has shaped my career and who I am today I'm always one I'm a big firm believer in never forget where you came from um or forget how you got there and the industry that helped me get to where I am is a combination between the adult sector and the entertainment industry so they're the areas that I'll focus on over the next five years within the law capacity um definitely drag will continue to be a thing so I know we didn't touch too much on that but the sideline of my entertainment career has always been drag and and live singing as an entertainer so as charismatic so that's definitely something that will continue to happen um got plenty of weddings booked where people were booking me to host and MC their events which is my creative outlet I think it's good to focus on relationships and dating and, and stuff like that but it's also important to have an outlet and for me sex work was an outlet and then when I realized it was a chapter to be closed I needed to still have an outlet so my creative outlet is drag and entertainment so Dragon Entertainment will continue over the next five years, may see me on TV, may not, um, with all of that. 
But definitely the commercial law side is is something that's important to me because I feel like I can add value to the adult industry globally, like I'm already doing now with Sweet Release, but definitely more so within the law space because I know there's so many people struggling and businesses fighting battles because there's no representation or understanding there in the full capacity. So yeah, that's my next five years. And definitely seeing where this relationship goes, I'm currently, and I'm pretty sure it'll continue. I'll be old and gray with this one. I'm pretty certain about that one. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, Brayden, thank you so much for coming on Love Uncensored. Perfect. Thanks so much for having me, Nicole. Okay, that's a wrap on today's episode of Love Uncensored. Thank you so much to Brayden Race for joining us and sharing your remarkable life journey. It was so great to delve into the unique challenges and triumphs of Brayden's life. With guests like Brayden, we're reminded that the path to love, intimacy, and self-worth is often a journey filled with unexpected twists and turns. I'll see you next week with another solo app.